You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. This Friday, your favorite emotions are back on the big screen in Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. It's time to greet your Team Riley. It's anger. Let me at him. Fear. Safety checklist is complete. Disgust. Ew, ew. Sadness is in the house. Oh, no. Hello, I'm anxiety. I'm one of Riley's new emotions. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. There's a part two? We're going. Ready PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only in theaters Friday. Get tickets now. This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Visit JabberjawMedia.com for more shows like this one. Howdy, y'all. This is the Doc Coyle X-Men Hour, and it's great to hear from you. I'm just kidding. It's Doc Coyle. What's up, son? What's up, son? Run your pockets. I don't know. I guess I'm, I guess I'm in doing characters mood or something. Welcome to the X-Men Show. I am Doc Coyle. Despite what the rumors may suggest otherwise, guys, it, it, it's been a crazy, crazy week. In, in, I'd say, you know, mo- in primarily good way, but also, you know, con- conflicting emotions. So if you're listening to this show, I'm sure you know about my band Bad Wolves. We released cover of the song Zombie by the Cranberries. Um, and Dolores O'Riordan was supposed to sing on the song. She passed away and it launched uh, all this notoriety on, on the song. We put the video out a couple weeks ago and things have been really taking off since then. And then for some reason, like in the, like the video has like 6 million views on YouTube. It has 6 million views on Facebook. I mean, the numbers are, are, are pretty staggering. Um, and then this past week, like we were pretty much the song has been the number one or number two song rock song uh, on the iTunes singles chart since it came out. And then, in, and because, so if you're that high, basically it puts, you know, we were around in the 40s, 50s, 60s on the overall iTunes singles chart. You know, and I didn't really think anything of it. And then within like a couple days, we were like number 17. And I was like, what the hell is going on? And then by the end of that day, we were in the top 10 and then I wake up today and we're number four on all of iTunes, um, right behind Drake and some other people, Kelly Clarkson, Kelly Clarkson. And, uh, <laughs> and you know, even leading up to this, it, it's just been, I think a lot of people look w- at what's happening where, you know, the song it's on the radio and they're like, you know, I've had people reach out to me like, man, you made it. Everything you've done, you've made it, you know, and and that's just so counter to what I know, you know. And I, I say this is that I know too much, right? Like, if anything, this show is about what happens when it doesn't work out, right? 
often it does it more often than not it's not going to work out so i think my brain is kind of uh kind of filtered to um wait for the other shoe to drop you know like i've been humbled by the industry i've been humbled by life and so when an opportunity like this comes around and all it represents is potential and that's why I kind of tell people, they're like, oh, man, because I, I think there's a lot of bands who obviously want what we have or want the, would like this opportunity. Um, and so maybe there's jealousy and it's like, you got to understand, you know, we still have to follow through. You know, we don't have a record out. We're not, our tour hasn't started. We haven't done that next step of work to actually solidify this. All this did was open the door. We still have to walk through it and connect with fans we have to get another song an original song and have that be a hit or else it's just going to be you know be no different than you know uh, um an alien ant farm or something like that who i actually have a lot of respect for or i think is a really good band but they're all of their notoriety was really surrounded around that first record um which the the michael jackson cover and there's actually some really that's a that whole record is actually really good but you know I'd been experiencing like some crazy anxiety around this, around the, you know, just like, you know, when something starts kind of get getting bigger than yourself and then you're like, can I fill the shoes? And I think my humility that I've experienced and me kind of, I, I, I think I, I transformed after I left God forbid. And, you know, and I, and I was really like starting over again. You know, I didn't have anything. I didn't, you know, I didn't, have anywhere to live, I didn't have any money, and I was like, and just being low, and you realize you're like, man, you know, life is it has this really freeing way of experiencing itself when you have nothing to lose. So in a way, it makes you almost not want to have ownership of things because then no one can take anything away from you. You know, it's like if I don't have a girlfriend that she can't leave. If I don't own a house, I can't lose it. You know, and I think that's that that really kind of stuck with me, you know, just kind of living life in a very light fashion, you know, being brisk, not owning a lot, not having a lot of ownership. And now I'm realizing, all right, the, the humility of always saying, hey, I don't need that much contradicts with ambition because we look at people like, you know, you look at a Kanye West or an Axl Rose or some of these people that are so like from the outside looking in, they look completely narcissistic and just kind of over the top but i don't think we often think about what it takes to get on that stage and say i belong i'm worthy of this attention i'm worthy of uh the success and it kind of listen i'm and i'm never going to be those guys because i think completely differently but i can't understand how you have to kind of your ego sometimes has to take the reins because it's because if you're if you know too much like I do like I know all the pitfalls and I know how easily it can go wrong and you hone in on that you're going to get distracted from saying no I have to step into the role here and be like I am worth this and I can make it work and I can belong so that's that's kind of what I've I've gone through kind of recently um a lot of mixed emotions it's you know because guess what now that it's doing well I have something to lose, right? I have, there's a stature there that's, and it's, it's growing and who knows what it's going to be. I have no idea. What has been a really, um, 
it's just, it's just been kind of a, a roller coaster. But now I'm, I'm, I, I kind of settled in. I was like, you know, I got to kind of push some of these instincts aside. And, you know, and as they say in Lord of the Rings, become who you're born to be. Anyway, just kind of wanted to get some of those thoughts out there. I thought you guys would be interested to kind of hear what it's like because I've never gone through anything like this. And guess what? I don't think I ever will. You know, and even if the band continues to do well, this particular experience is, is very new. And I'm, you know, a few years away from being 40. It's pretty insane to have an opportunity like this. So we'll see what happens, but I'm very excited. So real quick, just want to shout out our show sponsor. If you listen to this show, you know what it is. It's rockabilia.com. If you're our first time listener, then you need to hear this. Rockabilia.com is the biggest place to get biggest and best place to get band merchandise you go over to their website they have half a million items these are directly licensed from the bands it is legit stuff and they have almost anyone you can think of and they have all kinds of stuff outside of music they have pop culture stuff they have stuff for movies they have so much great great merch go over there drop our discount code get 15 percent off your first time and the code is pc Jabberjaw, and that's J-A-B-B-E-R-J-A-W with a PC right in front of it. So we actually also have a sponsor for this week's show, and by sponsor, I mean a rocking band. That's right. We have a band from Denver, Colorado called Corpse Paint, and I'm going to play a track from an EP that they just released in February. The EP is entitled Nothing Here in the Dark, and this track is entitled Blood on Our Hands. I just can't hide all the evil that I've done The demon I am With my long and unclean claws But I've tried so hard For you The red would wash away Now I'm drifting out to sea In the bloody sanctity of my good name Tonight Only one of us walks away With blood on our hands Here tonight, baby As vicious as I've been I know it hurts to love me, my tongue is so sharp And I'm never prone to trusting But I tried so hard with you But you're all just the same I would feed my heart to you If you just stop screaming Tonight Only one of us walks away With blood on our hands 
So that was Corpse Paint, and that track was called Blood on Our Hands from an EP called Nothing Here in the Dark, and that's actually available pretty much anywhere you find music, digitally online, iTunes, Google Music, Spotify, Amazon, etc. You can check them out at their website, corpsepaint.org, and then their Facebook is actually facebook.com backslash corpsepaint, but it's with a Z instead of an S. I don't know exactly why, but just for Facebook, the website is just with an S, like normally. Uh, that was really cool. I'm actually glad we're getting a diversity of bands. Like, I'm really into bands like him and, and gothic stuff and just different vibes. And I was actually a little worried about doing this. And maybe I was worried that maybe some bands would maybe not be up to snuff. And then I'd have them on the show and it would be a little weird. But all the bands I've, that have sponsored the show have been good, and uh, which tells me the, the people that are actually stepping up to put themselves out there and invest in themselves are taking their bands really seriously. So uh, that's great, and I'm, I'm, I'm really happy that they can support the show, but then the show can also be a platform to expose new and awesome talent. So definitely check out Corpse Paint and support them. So now we have a great, great conversation coming up um, our guest this week is a woman named Militia Vox, and I know her from New York. I used to work at a bar called Duff's out there, and we kind of got, you met through the, the local New York kind of rock scene, and when I moved out to LA, I actually started playing on her solo records, and she also has a band called Judas Priestess, 
I've said it before, I'm trying to have more women on the show. I'm trying to have more diversity on the show. I know that kind of people don't like some of that talk, but I really don't care. It's actually important to me because these voices um, are really relevant and especially in a, in a very homogenized culture that, that heavy metal and rock and roll can kind of be, at least on the industry side, it's really important to tell these, to tell a diversity of stories because their perspectives are, are you know, everyone's perspectives are, are so different. Recently this week, it was International Women's Day. And I did, first off, I don't even know Women's Day was a thing. Is it just like Me Too happened like two months ago or three months ago? And then they're like, Women's Day. Didn't you know, motherfucker? And I'm like, no, I didn't know. And then me, because I'm like a rebel, I'm like, well, I ain't gonna just talk about women because they tell me to. That's just the way I am. I'm, I'm like, I, I, I kind of hate holidays for that. It's like Father's Day. I got talk. I like my father all the other days. You know, it's like you should. It's like you should go and to the soup kitchen on the other days of the year, not just Thanksgiving. You know, that's how I kind of feel with a lot of these these holidays. So I didn't really mention anything on there because you know what I'm. I'm like Zach De La Rocha. Do what you tell me, but <laughs> but some of my best friends are women, <laughs> and some of my best friends are black. No, I'm a, I'm a lot of my best friends are actually women, and I feel like I actually get along with women probably a lot more than guys in in many ways, and I I definitely wouldn't be where I am without a lot of really important women in my life. When I, when things were hard for me, that's who had my back. It was like, hey doc, you need to sleep on the couch? Get on the couch, motherfucker. And that's, you know, a lot of women have supported me in, in so many ways. Um, and, you know, and that, that I feel like I couldn't really even encapsulate that in a, in a post or, or something. So, and, uh, Militia is is one of these these women that that it's just inc- first she's just so damn talented and she's just a great person and I'm just you know I'm if you don't know who she is I am extremely happy that a show like this exists to kind of expose some of these great human beings and great stories so please check out this wonderful talk with my friend Militia Vox. <laughs> Say something. Something. Boom. See, is that your? Is that your? Your? Uh, my Mia Wallace. <laughs> is that your Mia Wa- Wallace? I feel like I don't know. Yeah. Were you ever uh, offered a position at one of those like sex lines? No, but people say that all the time. Listen, good work if you can get it. I don't. I don't know if um you know in like '89 that was like that's pretty lucrative thing. business. Yeah, yeah. And I like think girl that's, six. That's, that stuff is has more or less dried up. Actually, no. I've if you watch TV late at night, that shit still exists. No, it does. It's weird. But I think um, it's a very specific clientele. I mean, who would call, I don't know anyone that actually would call. I mean, I guess maybe speaking to a live person is is a thing, but yeah. But now you everything just, is so. But they have the chat things where you can pay a girl yeah, and then she, like, like the, live streams. But then you you're like connected through video. That's better. So you can, yeah, it's better. So like you would think that. The 900 number, like, sex number would be obsolete. Well, some things, as they say, the classics never die. (laughs) Or it's just a front for drugs or something. We may never know. But I did not. That means we should call. Well, well, here's the thing. Don't um, say anything too sexy on here because then someone's going to, like, 
take it and then make a clip <laughs> and then keep that for their personal archives. I don't think that's, you know, just be very, very kind of androgynous and just stale. Right. <laughs> I'll do my best. You do that. I don't but you, think I can. But, but you've done like voiceover work, right? Yeah, I've done voice, voiceover stuff. Um, but like it was for anime and like a TV show where people, TV shows where people dropped words. Okay, yeah. You know, uh, that kind of stuff. There's a name for that. I forget what it's called. Yeah, it's a thing. I don't do it anymore. Okay. I, I mean, I. it's like, it's nice work if you can get it, but it's like, I don't know, it's a whole cult. Yeah. You know, there's definitely a scene there. I'm going to bump you up a little bit. I don't know if I necessarily want to be part of that scene. I hear you. Yeah. I hear you. Well, I'm not here to talk about your uh <laughs> your voiceover crew even though that is actually that is actually very very interesting to me but in a lot of ways so some of these shows i'll do intensive research and have many questions and sometimes i think it's actually better to not do that you know because in a, in a sense i can be discovering things about you at the same time as the people listening to the show so for those who don't know um militia is the singer of the band judas priestess which is a all-female Judas Priest cover band, and she's also a solo artist, which is how her and I started working together. Uh, even though we met back in New York, she started uh, coming out to LA to record and needed a session guitar player, and then I started playing, and we were already friends, but we became even better friends. But um, but yeah, besides that, you know, and I know that you do, you sing professionally in other realms, um, like what's your background? Like, where, where are you from? <laughs> <laughs> Who are you? So I'm just, I guess I'm going to speak my bio. Um, I don't, basically, uh, let's see, I grew up in Columbia, Maryland. Most people think I'm originally from New York. I get that a lot. But yeah. actually, no, I'm I'm from Maryland. That's not far. It's like two it's, hours away. The, it isn't that far, but it's a different kind of people, for sure. Um, it's like this weird... Um, it's a planned community, not like in a Stepford Wives kind of way. It actually was very progressive. Um, so, like, my parents are interracial, like your parents. Um, so so who's, they, who's who? My mom's black and my father's white. So, which is the same as you, right? No, I have a white father, black mother. Yours is more common. No, my my mother is black and my father oh, is white. Oh, all right, never mind. That yeah. we do have the same. <laughs> that is the same. Perhaps I should listen more when hearing words. <laughs> I think that's part of my job on this thing. Yeah. Yes. Oh, that's why we're we're like kind of like the same coloring. We're both very oh. sepia. I think you you got a little more mocha on you. Oh. What's that sound? That's the front door. Oh. Stop. <laughs> <laughs> we're uh, recording in a, in a in a garage studio. Right yes, now. a studio over the garage, like an apartment that's converted into a studio kind of thing. Yeah, you'd have to see it. Um. Anyway, we were talking about interracial marriages. Yes. Um, so my parents, they kind of escaped there because um, they got married in Virginia, which was like not the best place for interracial couples at the time. Yeah. I think they were only like the third interracial couple married in the state, like right after the Lovings. What what year? Um, so let me think. Oh, God. Uh, 70. I'm going to mess it up. Oh, my God. As long as they don't hear this, I think it was like seventy three, yeah, or something like that. So the loving that was like a big case, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, because um, they got married in D.C. and then went back to Virginia to live, and Virginia wouldn't honor that they were 
I mean, they did, but it, they did honor that they were married. I guess they that it was legitimate, but it was still illegal to be married to interracially in the state. So they were arrested. Yeah, like I think twice for it. Um, even when um, Mrs. Loving was pregnant, she was in jail for being in an interracial marriage. And it's so crazy. Um, yeah, so and it's not that long ago. It was not that long ago. Like Mrs. Loving just died. So. Um, and her kids, there's, there's kids are still alive. They're and still around. Are your parents still married? Mm -hmm. Wow. See, yeah, they're still married. That's why you're so well adjusted. <laughs> is that what it is? <laughs> it can hurt, right? It might. I don't know. I guess so. Maybe. Um, so yeah, where, where I grew up, that was the norm. Like that town kind of became like an interracial haven in the 70s. So like I grew up thinking that's how the world was. Yeah. You know, so like the street I lived on, every other house was an interracial family. So I just, I just thought that's how it was. So when I grew up and left there, I was so freaked out. <laughs> I didn't realize Where how. Where did you go? I went to Boston for college. Ooh, ooh, yeah, so damn. it was like, yeah, no, ouch, right? <laughs> it was really uh, an eye opener and it was scary. There was a lot of skinheads up there. So you went there, that was probably in the heart of, or actual probably after that, but when they were dealing with the busing fiasco, with like, do you hear about that when they integrated schools in, uh, you know, nationally? Mm -hmm. There was Boston in particular had a situation where, you know, there was a lot of racial. That's where a lot mm -hmm. of the kind of racial animosity mm -hmm. comes from in that city in particular. Sure. Yeah. The the it was night and day. I could I couldn't believe it. And um, at the time, I was dating um, a white male, and we would get on the the T, and. One time we got on the tee and there was like just a sea of skinheads and we walked on and didn't realize they were on there and then the doors closed and we were like, oh God, we could die. And they just looked at us with so much hate and I just, I'd never seen anything like it. Yeah. Um, and there was a lot of incidents like that. So it was really just like frightening and um, I just, I still to this day, I don't, I don't look at people like that. Like, so like the whole concept of like racism and things like that. I don't have that thing, so it's it's alien to me. Even pe some people just be like, oh, I hate this race of people, or I can't stand this about people or people who look like this. I legitimately don't have that because yeah. I just grew up like everybody was equal where I grew up. It was really like a Shangri-La. There's Facebook groups for it. <laughs> like yeah. there's a Facebook group called I Grew Up in Columbia, Maryland, and like people are on there like celebrating that they were lucky enough to grow up without that with that colorblind thing. Yeah, well, I, I think that's reflects a couple a couple points. One, the idea that these things are taught, mm -hmm. right? That your that your environment informs oh, you a lot sure. about your worldview. And I think the other thing is there's something distinct about the biracial upbringing mm -hmm. and that identity mm -hmm. is that I think for me I th I at no point did I ever feel like it was a deficit. It always felt like a superpower mm -hmm. in a in in a way because I think it's an advantage to be able to kind of see things from multiple perspectives. Sure. And it kind of shields you from tribalism. Sure. It's like yeah. how could I ever? Yes. You know, did did you ever have that thing? Because I think this is something that all, especially at night. And listen, I can't speak for people who are mixed with race is different than than me mm -hmm. but i think because of our country's history um the black white kind of uh paradigm that that the one against the other and and that thing 
it's very distinct mm -hmm. and um I'm glad that we're doing this because like you and I have never, we talked about it a little bit, yeah. but we never really sat and discussed like what was like growing up and our experiences about it. Because I mean, I imagine that they're similar experiences, especially coming from a black mother and a white father. Which is not the, is not as customary. Um, I, you know, people say that, but I don't know. I, I know a lot of black women that are with white men, so I'm not really... Well, I, I think there is some distinct things about the kind of um, black men have been sexualized right. in a way they've kind of perform as like this this totem, right, you know, right. of sexuality and virility right, and, right. and uh, kind of, you know, and that's kind of worked the other way, right? Like a lot of these um, um, moral panics about you know, cocaine crazed Negroes right, and, right. and how, you know, that's how they used to, to outlaw marijuana was to say that, you know, that there's these, these sexual beasts right. out there that are insatiable. So there's, right. there's kind of, you know, a certain idea around that. I think you, you look at the, you know, and you've seen this in, in films like, uh, like school days, like mm -hmm. the idea about the, the black woman trying to protect Right. Black men from stepping out. That's right. you know the idea of the 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 successful black man raising up and of course getting a white girl on his arm. Right. Whether it's OJ right. or, or uh, Tiger Woods or whatever. That that's kind of its own form of stereotype. Sure, yeah. So maybe maybe we're the stereotype is not as accurate as we think. I'm not sure. I don't know. I mean, stereotypes exist for a reason. Um, that's true. <laughs> but I I definitely prefer when things are against type. Yeah. To me, that's more interesting and exciting. Um, well, my parents are, my father's Jewish. So, like, I feel like the white male Jewish um, archetype, dare I say, with, like, a black female is more commonly accepted as far as white men being with black women. Yeah, that's because, you know, white Jewish men of a certain generation in America, they love basketball, jazz. <laughs> right. Uh, you know he likes jazz. <laughs> yeah. Got well, he, like, he loves music. You know, he loves... <laughs> That's, it's all his fault that I'm a musician. But, um, like, it's a thing. That's a thing. But actually, There's an understanding there, I feel like. What I kind of want to ask you, though, I think this is the point I was trying to get to, and maybe I just got spun around, was did you ever feel like you had... Actually, here was the statement I was going to make. The statement I was going to make was, um, I, I feel like a lot of times when you grow up biracial... You feel like you have to pick a like right. pick one that pick be, that becomes the predominant uh, speaker of your identity, mm -hmm. right? So there's a there's a big thing in Barack Obama's uh, past, like they they made a Netflix film, I think it was called Barry, and it was basically about that about mm -hmm. a a biracial guy who was trying to figure out his place in the black sure. world who felt disconnected, sure, yeah. in a sense from it's from, a thing, it's yeah, a, it's a real thing. I'm sure you went through it too, right? Yeah, and I think well, I think there was a there's a lot more issues with that growing up, mm -hmm. and especially me because I grew up in a city around mm -hmm. black and la Latino kids, and was kind of more dis disconnected from the 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 white world, and then I end up then I kind of went to private school right. and was more around that, and then being involved in the metal world, of course, which is okay. very very white. So then my question is because this you and I then have a similar story. Because I went to private school, and then I got into a me into metal because, like, that was the outlet. So it seems like there's like you and I have that parallel. Yeah. Um. Even though like we were trying to find our way, there was like, at least at least for me, I felt like there was um 
there was a baseline of anger for not being accepted, like, just as a person, and then not being forced to choose or forced to, like, um, identify, but, like, almost like being too too white for the black kids and then too black for the white kids and, like, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but did you feel like you ever chose? Does even being, like, pursuing, for example, being known as a rock artist, you know, does does that somehow, does that feel like its own choice? I mean, I'm, I think I'm at the this point now where I just feel like I like what I like and I don't try to make, like, excuses for what I like. Yeah. But I think, like, coming up, um, it's just the kind of thing, like, to me, it's like a, it's part of my sexuality, like, whatever it is that, like, excites me or gets me off, that's what I want to do. Yeah. So rock music excites me, so that's why I do it. Um, if I felt that way about things that are perceived as to be black music, then I would be doing that. Um, but it just, like, I mean, not to say there's not great R&B or rap or whatever. I hate to even, like, color code music in that way because I, it's definitely not, it shouldn't exist at this point because I know a lot of great white rappers and a lot of great white R&B singers, you know? So, like, the fact that there's still, like, this... There's this, more flexibility on that side, yeah, though. I think, because I think, it's popular. I, yes, but I think... You know, you tell me if I'm wrong. It's funny because I had Byron from God Forbid on the show. We were kind of talking a little bit about this. But I feel like there's more um, re- kind of rigidity within the black community in America mm-hmm. that says, that distinctly states whether something is black or white mm-hmm. music. Mm-hmm. And they, and 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 I think there's just less of that in, because the, in, the white world in America is basically just mainstream culture mm-hmm. as a whole. So they kind of just see it. You know, and especially post '90s, and when hip hop right. is essentially become mainstreamed, yeah, that's just popular music. That right. that is not once it's kind of been appropriated right. by the broader umbrella, then it kind of ceases to be solely black music. Right. Even though the black community will look at rock and metal and see definitely say, say no, that is white music. Right, right. You know, right. I don't know. Which is like. <clears throat> It's it's shitty. It's crap. It sucks because um, I know a lot of black people that enjoy heavier music. And actually, I've had people that said that they were embarrassed to admit that they liked heavy music or rock music. You know, I even had people come up to me on the subway and been like, oh, my my kid is in high school and is listening to rock music, but doesn't want to tell their friends because they're afraid of being ostracized. Did you go through that and what should I do? That's real. Yeah. And it's I don't know why it's such a faux pas or if it's or why it's looked at as as being a negative or looked at as being uh something to ostracize another person over. I don't, I don't I'll never understand it. Well, I, I really mean, don't. I mean, think I mean I know it's a thing. You I'm said aware you, it's a thing, but I don't understand. But it. you said you pretty much grew up in a suburb kind of very standard. You mm-hmm. know, I can say growing up in a more inner city environment speaking on that is that generally kids in in general i think are just trying to fit in yeah. you actually don't want right. to be the sore thumb um and i think there's that element one thing you say about uh black culture in america is it's kind of defined by cool mm-hmm. what black people young black people do whether it's right. fashion whether it's right. music whatever it kind of contains its own element of cool sure. and you don't want to not be that right, and see right. it seen as a nerd seen seen as corny i think right. luckily 
in the last 10, 15 years, you know, you have people like Pharrell, mm-hmm. who's more of a, you know, stepping out of that certain bounds, or you have mm-hmm. out to do some outcasts who right, kind of present right. certain things that, you know. Well, the, I dig that. And what I think is funny is that they're calling that alternative black culture. It is, to me, I it is go, an alternative, though. To, I go, it is to like, but to me, it's still mainstream as hell. Oh, of course. Yeah. So like, to me, I just go, it's just black culture at this point. Well, I say if you, so I'm a big basketball fan, you can you can kind of track the culture by the way, the way the black basketball players dress. <laughs> so like in the 90s, they'd be wearing like sweatpants and do-rags and right. they, they like banned all that. And then now they've completely embraced it and they're like fashionistas. Uh-huh, they're like, yeah, they yeah, wear yeah. like very irreverent styles and, and, you know, it's, it's, and that is kind of speaks to the evolution Right. You know, I think you know. I think Kanye has had a lot to do with that kind sure, of presenting sure. a certain, uh, you know, that. What do you do? He kind of his whole thing was talking about college dropout, graduate. Yeah. You know that that little I guess preppy kind of black style. I don't know. I don't really. I don't follow Kanye, but I do appreciate his defiance. I like the uh, I like the middle fingers he puts up. I. Kanye the music, I love it. Kanye the dude, I can, you know, he can he can kick rocks. <laughs> That's funny. I feel the opposite about it. I don't like his music, or I don't really know his music, honestly. I don't care to know his music, but I like that he has an agitator's spirit. Yeah. I like that. I like that he is a shit talker. I like that he jumps up and says obnoxious things. I really enjoy it. <laughs> I think that's fantastic. That's the anarchist even if, in you. Yeah, like even if he's like a little, in, well, he's obviously like a little insane. I like that about him. I think that um, aren't the greats pretty yeah, much insane? But that's what I'm saying is that like you know there needs to be that guy. There needs to be the person that is like uh, you're not sure what he's gonna do. He's kind of unpredictable, and um, people are uh, cautious about him. Mm. Or and he takes risks. I think that's exciting. Yeah. But as far as um, the way he speaks about himself, like I think it's uh, it's pretty absurd. A lot of the things that he does and says about himself are absurd, but I like it because, you know, art is what you can get away with, right? That's rock and roll. <laughs> yeah. Um, A lot of rock and roll artists did it. Well, yeah. Yeah. That's Axl Rose. Yeah, That's everybody. Marilyn Manson. You have That's... to have that bravado. Muhammad Ali did it. Yeah. I mean, it's like... So it makes sense. There's go, a formula there. Kind of going back to what we were talking about before, do you ever get tired of of that conversation of being the black rocker? So we have to have the race talk. Is right. that is that exhausting? Yeah, of course. It's exhausting. I mean, I don't mind talking about it with you because like you understand. You yeah. and I are like in a similar boat in that way. But like I guess maybe sometimes it's frustrating to be wheeled out for panels and wheeled out for documentaries to talk about the black experience as like a heavy metal and rock artist. Yeah. You know, cause I just go like, okay, we're still talking about this. Like people love to point out my differences instead of just saying, be like, I would love it more if they're just like, wow, she can sing. Wow. She can write. <laughs> wow. She can do, you know, I'd rather it be on like my talents rather than like, the checked boxes. So can, can I actually give a counterpoint to that? Mm. So I I got a review on Millie Vanilli's career today on Twitter. There was like a little what? like reflection of, here's, here's the whole Millie Vanilli story. And 
the whole idea you think about something like I think they sold something like 20 million records mm -hmm. something insane they had like five top five singles and for those who don't know Millie Vanilli was these two basically male model dancers from Europe who they were manipulated into lip syncing their career like there was a backing band that did all the music and they looked just like middle-aged like church people <laughs> like R&B <laughs> group whatever and um what, but to me, like what I kind of took out of that. Oh, and they won. They won a Grammy. The Grammy and, and yeah, they got, they won they got the Grammy ta taken away. Is that yes? Peop if people wanted the music to be good, mm -hmm. then that R and B group would not have needed two male models mm -hmm. to front. That's why it right. blew up. Right. Is because these two beautiful right. bohemian, you know, uh, sex <laughs> gods. Sex gods. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know. Ultimately, I think have like I think of this about God forbid, where we were in a sense the whole media and the way we were marketed when we came out as being the black metal band. Right. I'm like, that's better than being labeled as here's another metal band. Right. Not sure that obviously like your differences are what helps. Well, well I'll give an example. Amon Amarth, right? Mm -hmm. They're a Viking metal band, right. right? Now, if you just listen to their music and never saw a picture of them, would mm -hmm. you be like, this is, of course, Viking metal? No, it just sounds like melodic yeah. death metal, whatever. But that's their story. Right, that's right, what right. they're sticking with. No, whatever. it's all of that. So there's yeah. there's a pirate metal band. Right. And there's a, we're, we're an S&M uh, bondage band, whatever. Right, right. I, I think, it, listen, you... It's all part of it. Having I a know. thing is better than not having a oh, thing. Oh, believe me. I know, I know, I know. I just, like, I think it's... Huh, I don't know. I think it's, uh, I just would like it to go a little deeper yeah. for myself. That's all. Well, I, I say this when we came out, it seemed like a big deal, but mm -hmm. I well, noticed honestly, as time, it was. well, but what I'm saying is time goes on, mm -hmm. I see other artists come up and mm -hmm. it's, it d doesn't seem like it's a big deal, which right, to me right. tells, talks about the progress, right, right. which is that it becomes banal. It just becomes, right, right. you know, when people talk about Tosin Abasi, they don't really talk about the fact that he's black. He's so good. Right. It's like, oh, is he black? I didn't. I just, I just hear an alien See, playing yeah. music I've well, never even heard. Well, here's the thing. He and I had that conversation yeah. one night, and I was like, you know, do you talk? Do you address it? Is it an elephant in the room for you? Do you address, you know, your blackness along with like being in metal? Do people even mention it? And he said, no, it doesn't, we don't really talk about it. It doesn't come up. We don't talk about it at all. Well, Which is amazing because it could be the thing, but it's not. That's why I'm saying, like for me, I would love to be taken as at face value or product value or musical value in the way that like Tosin is. Like for some, somehow he's able to um, not have to state the obvious constantly. Yeah. Well... It's, um, I think that's also has to do with some associations. Like for example, with yourself, you're someone who's been aligned with like the Black Rock Coalition, is that correct? Or like mm -hmm. Afropunk and sure, kind of sure. stuff like that. So in a sense, it becomes part of your brand. Sure, right? it's part, oh yeah, it's part of everything. Yeah. You know, um, and I think with someone like him, and I think that's, this also speaks to the element of, of virtuosity. Virtuosity, is that the, that yeah. use the right, virtue? Yeah, that's right. All right, I'm thinking. We of, know what you mean. I know what you mean. So. <laughs> God damn, the coffee's not working, guys. Um, <laughs> no, what? Where in a sense, the the ability is in the something that's so groundbreaking that it it becomes above 
who the person is. Right. Like, it doesn't, it, it, it doesn't matter. Race. Yeah. 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 Th- I think that is, I, w- I would appreciate being able to transcend like that. And not, and not, and not for nothing. I think if Tosin was some kind of like nerdy standard looking guy that like, he just kind of the whole package is, is kind of out of this world. The way he dresses, the, you know, he's good looking. He has, a, you know, there's a whole thing, you know, it's not just he's sick at, his guitar is a whole thing about it. Anyway, this is true. Let's move on. Yes, <laughs> Let's guys, talk about him it's anyway. getting a little weird. <laughs> <laughs> so, going back to to Baltimore, mm-hmm. um, or not Baltimore, but Maryland. Oh, so this um, is an interesting tidbit for you and you guys listening. Um, you have Netflix, right? Of course. Who doesn't have Netflix? Did you watch The Keepers? I have not watched The Keepers. Do you know what that is? I do not. Okay, there's a documentary on Netflix um, about. A nun that was murdered at a high school. Actually, I watched the first episode and okay. I, I didn't. I went up. to school there. Wow. That was my school. So I had. It was a private Catholic all girls school. Um, and like, it seems so fantastical, like when you watch it, but all of that stuff is true, and like all of that stuff is like, so accurate and so like all of that happened, and I know a lot of people look at it and go, how could something like that happen at a school like that? But it all did, and it was just normal. Well, I only watched the first episode, so I don't know completely okay, what well, happened. Okay, I'm not, I'm not going to spoil it I'm sure for it gets you. crazier. Yeah, it does. But, um, like, things like that always kind of, like, you know, add into, have added to my story. Mm-hmm. Like, I always feel like I've been surrounded by kind of, like, unusual things, you know? So, um, I'm just used to things being kind of, like, abnormal. Abnormal feels normal to me yeah. most of the time. Well, I mean... I'd say one of the most defining things about you is you more so than most people are comfortable in your own skin um, in a way without being pretentious. You know, like some people, Uh. like, like they kind of become their ego, like walking around, but you're just there and in in present in a a way that's really interesting. So that tells me without even knowing everything about your, you know, you got, there was a a, definitely a path, a distinct Mm -hmm. path that got, there because because some i mean not for nothing you look around and there's just so many broken people especially Mm -hmm. in the creative world right Right. just like people who were neglected so they're using this to get there they need to fulfill love and and get that validation from a crowd validation from you know a comedian they need to get the laugh whatever um i don't get that from you just from your general energy um but the thing but I think a big part of that is you're just so fucking good. Oh, thank you. <laughs> well, I, well, the thing is, and in a sense, when you can be good, right? And the, we we pretty much I think understand the the super cocky person is usually actually very much doubting themselves. Sure, but that's, yeah. That that's a front. But there's a difference between that and just someone who is generally self assured and is right. is comfortable. Like right, I said, just comfortable right. in their, their own skin. So how like. A, how did you start singing, and how the hell did you get so good? <laughs> Thanks. Um, I actually, um, I always knew that I wanted to be a singer. Like, it sounds like kind of like weird and like some kind of like storybook, but um, I sang before I spoke, like as an infant. And my you were, parents you were, were so crying in key. freaked out. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> well, it's basically what singing is, right? Um, yeah, like... My mom tells me some crazy story about how when I was an infant, 
she, there was the TV was on. It was like a musical. I think it was like an American in Paris, and I was just like glued. And she said that was it. Like any time there was singing around me, like that's what I craved or wanted or wanted to be close to or like that's all that could like really hold my attention um, was music and especially vocals. Like any time there was like a voice, someone singing good or bad, I was like, I was in it, you know? Um, so. But that's intuitive though, right? Like it, like for human beings in general, like why do we get goosebumps when right. someone sings really well? Right, right. Why it's, do people cry when they hear true. a beautiful song? I mean, it's. Yeah. Because there's so many messages going on, you know, like just like more so than talking. There's so much communication going on, yeah. like your com communication through just like feel and tone. And it's like it's such an intricate thing. That's why, like when people they kind of belittle like a singer's role or what a singer does. I mean, you're using your whole body. At least that's what I do to create. um this intense communication for an hour, two hours, how long you're doing it, um, which is like lyrically, mentally, emotionally, physically, like you're conveying all of those messages full, full tilt. Um, so I was always like transfixed to how people communicate themselves through music um, and through vo vocals and singing. Um, so even though I wanted to sing as a kid, I was really, pain, honestly, painfully shy as a child. That's hard for me to believe. <laughs> I was. I was so shy. Um, just because I was an only child and, you know, I was just kind of like figuring it out. And I just knew that, like you said, that whole concept of tribalism. Like, I had friends, but like my friends growing up, my closest friends were all Asian, <laughs> actually. Filipino. Um or Filipino and white mixed, whatever. You know, they call a Filipino and a, uh -oh. and a actually no, actually no, <laughs> Latino and a black person mixed together. What? Blacktino. Yeah, Blatino. Sure. Blacktino. Blacktino. That's from a movie. Uh oh, I've heard that before actually. <laughs> um, well, that's why black person and Asian person is Blasian. Blasian. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So an Asian and a white person would be just. Uh, Caucasian. Ca yeah, Caucasian Asian. I don't know. Anyway, that's that's a that's an aside. Um, but yeah, I just um, I wasn't singing at first initially, and then I would sing to myself. My favorite thing in the world was to like act out music videos in my room by myself. But I was shy about it, so my parents would like kind of come around the corner and look at what I was doing, and then I would just stop because I didn't want them to see that I had this other world in my head and in my bedroom. Um, I actually used to do something really sick, but I think a maybe other people did do this too or might have done this. Um, remember, we were like kids of like the 80s and the 90s, so like you probably had posters in your room, right? Mm -hmm. So like I would create collages of posters of like my favorite singers and actors and stuff like that, but it always had to be a picture where the focus was like looking out at me. And I, I called it my, my parents called it my audience, and I would put it up. And I would like perform for it. And I would just like imagine like I was on large stages or in a movie or in a music video. And I would try to replicate like um, like the outfits or the look or the style or singing for them. My parents would just like kind of like open the door and I would just stop. Because yeah, I didn't want them to see what I was doing. That's the time before the internet. 
when, yeah. we, could, when we could actually be bored and have to imagine Invent things. with our mind. Yeah, that was what I. That was my favorite thing in life. So, um, like, I wasn't a Barbie girl or any of that kind of stuff. Like, I love Jim. That was my thing. I was like, I wanted to be in a girl band. I wanted to be the front person. You know, I wanted to direct the band. Like, okay, we're gonna do this. I used to force my friends to pretend we were in a band, and I'd be like, okay, and we're gonna shoot a video, and it's gotta look like this, and you gotta stand next to me, and you know, we're gonna make it look good, and then we're all gonna jump in the air. And my friends were like, oh my god, okay, fine. <laughs> like, hate playing with her. <laughs> so, I mean, did you go? Were you in choir? Yeah. Did you sing in church? I, started, or? I didn't go to church. Um, it, it's funny. I get asked that question so much because that people is people come to me and they say where did you learn to sing in church and i go i think if i stepped into a church i would light on fire because my like my dad's jewish my mom's methodist i went to catholic school i never really believed in god or anything like that um i think the closest thing would be agnostic and hey well, but here's what you have to understand you do you do know that's a compliment right did you learn? I think so, but I just I think I don't I don't necessarily not that I have a problem with anyone who's religious. Um, just like I respect people that are religious, like people please respect the fact that I'm not religious. Like to me, music is my religion. So well, I mean, I just mean the term gospel chops. Yeah, means you're basically a badass, and so like Mo, who we play with, a uh -huh. drummer from Vegas Nerve, and plays with with her band. He's got them gospel yes, chops. Yes, he does. Byron from God Forbid, he started he's singing in church. Well, uh, well, that's where he started singing. But but I think when people see see someone who can, there's a certain kind of belting mm -hmm. and like emotional, very distinct mm -hmm. black American thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that, yeah. They that? just assume did you, did that's you, where did, it came from. Did you start singing in church? Right. So right. I I would take it as a compliment. Yeah, I just I don't take it as anything. I just get like no. But um, oh God! I know it's it's because I went to that school, <laughs> and like the way they sing at that, with the way they sang oh, at Catholic, Catholic school, school it's not like that. Yes, it's, yeah. So it's it's a different thing for me. So I, to me, it wasn't respect. You know, people trying to respect it. But then now that you say like that, okay, I should look at it differently. Um, so you're singing in just the school choir? Yeah. Singing Christmas carols and yeah, shit. Yeah, all that kind of yeah. But like did you ever train concerts? train? Not till way late. What's late? Late high school. Late yeah, but that's mm -hmm. that's pretty normal to train. So like, like late high school. So I started okay, so I my first instrument technically was piano. You know, I came up as a I was groomed to be a concert pianist. That's what I was supposed to be. So Which is honestly the instrument probably every musician should start on. Mm-hmm, for sure. So like I was um I excelled really fast and was playing in malls as a child in some like uptight little just playing piano yeah like an uptight little wednesday adams type dress with pigtails and they love to wheel me out to play you know events and all kinds of stuff and um i started competing and i was winning i mean i was winning a lot of uh, awards for you know i won like i think the highest honor i got was second best in my state um, Are these just like talent shows or like piano competitions? Piano competitions, like hardcore. So you're doing like classical stuff? Peabody Conservatory of Music, like where Tori Amos went to school stuff. So can you still p sh piano shred? Mm -hmm. But it's like the kind of thing where I just got so 
like just disenchanted with that world because it's 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 very rigid obviously um i was always the only black child in in those oh, see, things. This explains why you had so many Asian friends. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> totally, totally. They're the, usually shredding on yes. the piano. Oh, totally. Yeah. And stereotype. I apologize to my, to my Asian know. friends. I am. I am We're sorry. just saying you're super talented. All right, take I, the I, compliment. I reject <laughs> and denounce myself. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. Um, yeah, the, it was a thing, and finally, I just was like. Wow, I'm like I've got really far in this. Like, where do I go with this at this point? Like, I just kind of got tired of playing, paying, playing these dead composers' music, and I wanted something that was new. Or I didn't even know if I could create at that point. Um, but I was like singing and choreographing things, and I was like, this is fun and exciting. I'll start doing more of that, and then I eventually got into theater. So like musical theater, ended up being like a, a natural progression for me, even though I went to theater school um, for college. Um, I got into a music conservatory, a Boston conservatory. That's like, I mean, it's only 500 people, graduate, undergraduate. Like you have to be badass to get in. And that's where you kind of honed in your on your singing chops? Mm-hmm. Or were you doing everything, dance, mm-hmm. everything, everything, like uh, ballet, improv? Ballet, tap, jazz, acting, improv, directing. The works. And did you feel that was worth it? Did you feel like... Oh, it, yeah. It, it was absolutely worth it, even though um, the school is a motherfucker. Um, there's a lot of politics there. Yeah. Um, they have a weird black thing, too. They're not so great to their ethnic students there, I must say. Um, and I was definitely misunderstood there, for sure. And at the time, I was the only student that had a band outside of school, so I was looked at like the antichrist because i had an industrial band see i know what was going on this is probably around this time when that movie the craft came out and they were like you that you a witch that's right. what it is with you so if, see if you guys look just google a picture of militia and she has very similar skin tone very similar right. hair it's a, rachel now, true i don't know if you had the same hairstyle back then but that that actress from, rachel true what's her mm-hmm. name rachel true i used to get mistaken for her all the time i know yeah that's so I, I, funny. I, that movie came out and like, listen, bitch, you are the devil <laughs> and you need to back up with your witchcraft. All right. That's what you need. I seen the craft. I know what you're trying to do. You cannot have a strand of my hair. <laughs> that's amazing. Yes. Yes. All of that. That's what was going that's on. So I'm funny. telling you. In yeah. hindsight, you know. Yeah. Right. Um, that's so funny. I love that movie. Who doesn't you, love you that movie? It. <laughs> I hate that they're trying to make it into a musical. It sucks. Listen, um, th- you know who can be in the musical? Militia Vox. Yeah, this is true. You better go get paid. This is true. <laughs> this is Don't true. let them make that without you. I know, right? Yeah. Yeah, so um, I actually got kicked out of that school. For what? I got kicked out for, God, what was the word? Um, that was a word. Oh, yeah. Um, not disobedience. What was it? They said uh, I was kicked out for... Insubordination. Insubordination. Thank you. I was kicked out, and for it's kind of hard to get kicked out of that school because they want your money. But um, I, I got all the way through all four years. Two weeks before graduation, they were like, "Get out." How can they even do that? Can't (laughs) you like sue them? I did, and lost (laughs) because they said it was a private school. They can do what they want. 
but but you still get to keep your credits, so you can. I still have credits. I don't know what they are right now. But now the school has merged with Berkeley, which, believe me, if it was like that back then, I would have. It would have made my life. So could you go back get them two weeks and get your shit? Well, get your degree? I don't know. They, the, there was a person there. Um, well, I'll just say his name. I don't give a fuck. Uh, Neil Donahoe, the chairman of the theater department. Has a uh, he was on a mission to fuck me. All right, Neil Donahoe, we looking for you. All right, we gonna find you. Run and tell that homeboy. <laughs> I adore you. Um, so basically, what happened was, um, I was a director. I was the senior director, and I had picked a couple projects to do um, for my senior year. And I had picked um, Beyond Therapy was my first scene, um, which is kind of like a really heady, um, straight acting piece. And then my second piece was The Dutchman, um, which is a very racially charged piece. So from that moment on, I was like branded as a troublemaker, like a real rabble rouser, like I was trying to incite something racial at the school. Um, and I had cast, you know, it's, I mean, they have weird race issues at the school. I mean, I know people that left the school after a semester because they said they couldn't stand it because they weren't being treated fairly and they were black. Um, so when I did that piece, some of the people, the higher ups in the theater department were, were upset mm -hmm. that I brought that element into the school, which, I mean, you would think at a theater school, they would want to represent all kinds and all kinds of art and opinions and uh, pieces. So after you're out of school, how do you, what's your venture into becoming a professional musician? Oh, hold on, wait, let me... Oh, is there something yeah, else that more. happened? Oh, so I ended up... Um, my senior directing piece was Rocky Horror, actually. And the chairman of the department had another show that was around the same time. And when students were saying, like, oh, is your if I audition for your show, is it going to interfere with Rocky Horror? And he didn't like that. So it started, like, impeding. Um, and he just, like... The target got bigger on me. And he tried to pull the plug on my show like while the theater was full and I was in the office like trying to work it out my mom's there we're trying to like and he was just like no we're not gonna he, he built up this whole story about the rights to the show it was it wasn't accurate um and some kind of deal with Samuel French and he saw it as me going against his word or mm. going against what he wanted to do um and I did scenes from the show regardless because I had to do something. There was a room full of people there. And um, there's a lot of people on the stage who were in the show and they had never been in anything in all four years at the school because there's obviously at school there's favorites, you know. So he saw that as, a, as me making a statement against him. Um, so he just, that was it. I was the target and uh, I was kicked out. And I mean, the student government rallied for me. There was parents calling, like people were trying to save me there. And they were like, nope, they're like, you're out of here, but you can come back. And I was like, I left with both middle fingers in the air. I was like, I'll never come back. So um, that actually ended up being a really good experience though, because it taught me like the lesson of like, it's not always gonna be fair and sometimes people just don't like you for whatever reason and there's nothing you can do to change that. Um, or sometimes people's perception of me might be a certain thing that I can't change. 
Um, and all I have to do is stay true to myself, always. So like that um, solid foundation vibe that you get from me is from instances like that. Just through going through something extremely difficult and challenging and kind of saying, you know what, I was right. <laughs> yeah, and like I even said, I remember saying in the moment, you know, we're in the theater and everybody's there and my mother's sitting there and you know, the school wasn't cheap. Even with my scholarship, I was, they were still, they were paying out the ass to have me there. And I said to her, I mean, it's like, I said, I will most likely be kicked out for this. Is that okay? And she said, yeah, do what you feel. So I've always just done what I feel, even if it doesn't necessarily line up or make sense for other people watching. Mm -hmm. um, that's why, like, the whole concept of branding is kind of like, like, to me, it's like I get branding and I love it when it works in a like a beautiful and unique way but for myself like my brand is just um it's always been no fucks given i just always do what i feel i want to do and i always try to put the art first above me or above um you know what could happen to me because of it does work does not giving a fuck has that ever backfired well, against you it did i didn't get you, my degree well <laughs> Outside of that particular yeah. experience, has that felt like it, there are certain sure. situations where you kind of was that? Well, I get painted a certain way. Um, like, for example, like I'm banned from Brooklyn Academy of Music. Yeah. You know, because, um, <laughs> well, it was for pyro. <laughs> You're a fire starter. Answer this. I am. Well, like, that's the kind of thing. Like, I just. I always just want to do whatever is best for the show. I'm starting to see this is why you like Kanye. You know what I'm saying? You and him yeah. are the same. Like, We're kind of like... don't give a yeah, fuck. Yeah, yeah. But, like, the thing is, like, we really do give a fuck. We want it to be as great as possible yeah. um, with anything that I do. I just want it to be great. I don't like to half-ass things. I don't like things to be, um, uh, you know, like, vague or wishy-washy. I like things that make statements. Um, I like things that evoke strong emotions. Like to me, the worst feeling is ambivalence. Yeah. You know, I'd rather ha be hated, you know, or loved, you know, than just like someone be like, "Ugh, she's basic." You know, yeah. to me, being basic is my worst nightmare. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's I. Most of the most compelling art is is stuff that's very divisive and, right. po and polarizing. And, right. And to be that way, you know, I think you're definitely going to get a lot more people to pay attention to what yeah. you're doing but i also like it's also like you said like about you know not being like cocky i mean my cockiness is when comes out of when i feel like i'm nailing something and i'm doing it right not because like i i love myself so much and look how awesome i am no, you're it's like you're cocky at the right time which is on stage <laughs> right no right. that's that's where you need to be right you own it like i've seen you i remember when you came out here and did Jam Night and you, mm -hmm. you did the Tina Turner song. Mm -hmm. Actually, no, I, I can't. Did you do that one first or did you do the um, the Judas Priest song first? In the order. Oh, like, I did. Oh, I don't remember. I think oh, I you did, did Priest first. Priest first. But I just remember like everyone else was just kind of playing songs and you went out there and you like, you did crowd work. Yeah. You got people pumped up. You made them pay attention. Yeah, yeah. And they were just, and that thing of A, understanding that's part of your job right. as a front person. Sure. But then also, See an environment where, no, you're gonna fucking pay attention to me. Right, right. I'm you're not. I'm not here to be background noise. You having a right, your cocktail right. like this is the show. Right. You know. That's funny. In all of my contracts, when you book me, it says in capital letters, 
Militia Vox or Judas Priestess. Do not play background music. What do you mean? In between music or? We don't play background music. Don't tell us to oh, be the quiet. Band. Oh, the band isn't yeah. background music. Don't okay. tell us to be quiet when people are coming in or da da da. I don't play background music. And it's in the contract. Yeah. You know, and I feel very strong about it. If you're coming to see a show, maybe it's that theater training. When you're coming to see the show, your attention's on the art and the music. And every, and like to me, like I said, like when I say that that's my church, that's what I mean. You know, to me, like the concert is a service. It's a. It's a it's a religious experience for me. That's what it is. Oh, I, I see that. I remember going to a show, like the Star Starland Ballroom, maybe like five or six years ago, and I was mm -hmm. like, and just seeing the way people were acting towards mm -hmm. the band, I'm like, this is fucking church. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's the same. It is, you know, and I'm sure plenty of people in, in our world are are religious, but I'd say the plurality probably isn't. Mm -hmm. So for so for people without that in their life and that. The community right. and the, and that what you're kind of getting out of it. And there's a there's a reason why the energy mm -hmm. of a show in this in this scene is its own thing. Right. You only get it. You know, like I had my mother and like aunt come out to see, to Ozfest and see like oh, that's great. and seeing you know them seeing like Slipknot and, sure. and being like and uh, then they get it. Right. They get what like right. you know because even there's, if you don't like the music, there's a worship going on. Yeah. Yeah. But there's it, well, there's a worship, but I think it's not just the worship. It's the, I'm not saying worshiping the band exclusively. I'm saying worshiping the music yeah. in the moment, well, well, the live feel. But I would say it's it's that whatever you know, and I'm saying this as a non-religious person, so I don't want to mm -hmm. like overspeak my bounds as as that I know what exactly what what people go through but I've seen enough of it to kind of get a certain idea I look at the exhilaration that they have I have exactly. the same feeling That's what I'm talking about that purging yeah. of yeah. Listen ecstasy I know? saw ACDC when I saw them for the first time I'm I fucking cried through most of it because I was like this is the closest to quote unquote God I'll ever feel like this is seriously. I was like, this is the church of rock and roll. These guys were the ones that are able to, um, channel this power, you know, and do it exquisitely, yeah. you know? So like, to me seeing something like that was like, I mean, that'll, I'm good. Like after seeing something like that, like my soul is straight for a long time. Like I'm yeah. good, you know? So w with that, I'm going to double back to the question I asked you before, and mm -hmm. then you told me your whole story oh, about right. you getting kicked out of school. Uh -huh. Did you, you know, leaving school, did you kind of do the pop star development thing? to, Or did you, like, how did you end up becoming a professional musician? Um, so I was already gigging during college. I had joined my first band. Um, what kind of gigs? Uh, industrial rock band. But like original um, music. Mm -hmm, okay. Original music. I started in, uh, God, it was like 98, 99. I was a baby. I was like 17, 18 years old. I was so young. Is there any video footage but, on YouTube? Um, A little bit, but I feel like I, I have, we have to dig up some more because it was something. I mean, it was like, it was like my life with the Thrill Kill cult with two singers. Do you, so still have, you, got, do you guys do any demos, any records? Oh, yeah, yeah. I gotta hear that. Yeah, yeah. It was, it was fun stuff. It was great Um, just to like get my... Just to get started, I actually never imagined I would, I could be in a band. Really, like I imagined it. It was always pretend. It was never like, wow, we're here and we're gonna make music. I I didn't know how to make it yet. I always just kind of fantasized on what it would be like to make it, but I never was 
actually making original music. I was playing like dead composer's music, so I didn't know. Um, so when we started, what happened was the band was had started, um, and my boyfriend at the time went to Berkeley, and he was they were putting it together, and there was a singer in the band, and they wanted to get a part, and she wasn't nailing it, and they said, oh, it's kind of like this, and they played me uh, like a section of uh, Red Water Christmas Morning by Typo. They were like, we want something like this. Um, and I was like, wow, this is like amazing. I've never heard anything like this before. So then we started doing it and then they're like, do you want to join this band? And I was just, I couldn't believe it. I just like, I felt like I've won the lottery. I was like, really, you want me? I was so like, wow, I'm gonna be in a band. Um, and it was like, so the setup was uh, male singer, female singer, um, bass player and keyboard and you know, the guy who ran tracks. What was the name of the band? Disciples of Astaroth. <laughs> What's Astaroth? Like the demon who leads people through the gates of hell. Okay, I'll take your word for it. Yeah. <laughs> so we were like a very glam industrial band, like Thrill Kill Cult, but the songs were, they were very gothic and dark and industrial. Um, but at the time, there were no industrial bands in Boston. So you, we used to play with like hardcore bands, and we used to have like drag queens open for us. Like we'd have like drag queens like dancing to D aside and then we would go on. <laughs> you can't make this up. <laughs> I'm, I'm making a bewildered face. <laughs> so we played a lot and we had a good following, but it was like all the creatures of the night came out. It was like college kids and then drag queens, transsexuals, um, goths, you know, rivet heads, metal heads. It was that was our crowd. Did you so keep doing the band after diverse. you got We did for a little bit. Um, but then, you know, the band split and went to like either side of the country. But we do have one professional release. Um, we're on the Dead Can Dance tribute album that was on Cleopatra Records. So we're the last track on the record. So it was so cool because we did that. And then I would go to like a goth club. And I remember like walking into like the goth club Orpheus in, Bal in Baltimore. And they were playing it. And I was like, wow, like this song is, it's out there. So you had went home by that point. Mm -hmm. We went, well, we went home for a little bit and then moved to New York. Okay. After school. Um, the band did a couple shows. We actually played the Bat Cave in New York before it closed. And then that was it. That was the last hurrah. So what did you do next? Um, we had a brief like side project. Me and my guy were like trying to write together. It's called Living in Sin because we were living together. And it was like this like dark industrial thing. It never saw the light of day. And then finally, I was just like, you know what? I want to do a band with like all live instruments. Like, I didn't want to be married to the track or married to its programming or whatever. Um, so I joined a shock rock band called Vulgaris um, that was notorious in New York, but not anywhere else. Well, I love it with you. You're you're never too far from the theater, right? I guess so, right? <laughs> yeah. It was it was a really kind of like it was a very empowering to be in that band. Um, even though it was really crazy, like the drummer was transsexual, uh, transgendered, I'm sorry, she was transgendered. Um, the singer was a performance artist. She used to perform and take um, butcher knives and like carve up her vagina on stage. That's not um, healthy. <laughs> well, she would dull the knives. Um, uh, children, listeners, <laughs> don't, don't do that. The band was featured on Real Sex on HBO. That was like the biggest thing we ever did. That's pretty big. It was all right. But then my mom called oh. and said, 
Your band is on Real Sex oh, on HBO. And here's she what you say. Lost here's, her mind. Here's what you say. Hey, mom, why are you watching That's Real Sex? That's what I sex? said. I said, why are you watching Real Sex? Oh, I know what you up to. <laughs> Fluffing your vulva, mom. <laughs> exactly. Go back to your room, mom. I'm living <laughs> my life in sin. I know, right? So funny. Yeah, we, we did that band for a while. The band had been around for a minute, and we played like CBGBs before it closed and all that stuff. We did the rounds. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, it became like a revolving door of band members, and like some of the people that joined weren't like as skilled. So I got frustrated and was like, I can't do this if I'm the only one who knows notes. And like, I mean, I mean, there's nothing wrong with like a homegrown player as long as you love your instrument, but there's some people that just. Wanted well, to like be in a band. Well, I, I can imagine with you that's probably consistent frustration having a you know an actual trained background and then yeah. kind of you know the the heavy music world is riddled with lots of people like me kind of who taught themselves. And, that's I like that. Yeah, I think homegrown's great, but I like it. homegrown. That's a yeah. nice euphemism. Uh, yeah. Oh, I like you. You know, yeah. I like the way you play. You homegrown. <laughs> yeah. That's nice. Self-taught is great. You know, I think that's awesome. I'm a self-taught singer in a lot of ways. You know, because I figured out how to how to work my own instrument. That's hard to believe. No, I mean, I had voice lessons, but they didn't help me. Yeah. You know, I had to figure out my own instrument because I actually have um, respiratory issues. You know, so like I was a, uh, I was like a month premature. So my lungs didn't fully develop, if you can believe that. Um, so I had asthma as a kid. I had bronchitis. I usually got it twice a year, every year of my life. Um, and I've always had breathing problems. So mm. I had to learn how to use my instrument, which isn't the same as other people's instruments because I'm working kind of at a deficit. Mm -hmm. So I had to compensate for that deficit and learn how to build the power. That's why like, you know, I don't really teach, but I have taught lessons for people that begged me just to help them out. Um, but I don't, I'm not a teacher by any means. Like I don't try to be a teacher is what I should say. Yeah, but some but I can teach. Well. I'd say as a, as an outside observer, you seem to be te very technically, um, like I don't know, like just it seems like everything you're doing technically is tight. Like right. it, it make like like I never feel like I never hear you struggle right. for a note. It right, seems right. like oh, thank you. you have a very good command of your range mm -hmm. in a way that's very specific. Like you know, like I'm maybe I've heard you like slightly flat that one time and it probably wasn't even your fault it was probably like a shitty pa or like the guitar player's out of tune or something oh, um you. but no but there's a, a a technical mastery that i would presume i thought you know you were like classically trained you know i mean i i took voice lessons in school and i had to sing the thing about my school is it was like the best prep you could ever have because they threw everything at you you had to learn everything so you had to learn to sing 20s music, 20s style, 40s style, 50s style, modern rock pop, Broadway musical theater, and opera. And if you didn't, they kicked you out. Yeah, so you were, <laughs> you, so you were trained. I was trained um, on styles. Yeah. So I'm trained to be able to pick out the style of anything. Like I know that in 40s music, it's there's a lot of crooning, so there's, you're going to get this kind of smoother style. 20s, you have to do this like... Um, glissades and like this lighter kind of feel so you could do that like uh beth gibbons porter's head like when mm -hmm. right <laughs> we're, like, we're gonna do a porter's head <laughs> tr tribute yes now we're talking Dude, i love it that would actually be that's really some, popular that's, like 
some of my favorite music in life. I Me listen too. to Portishead on the regular. Let's for do sure. that. Let's, Let's put that do in. It. That's right. It's good. I, anything that's melancholy, I'm about it. Yeah, me too. Me too. So, so but as far as like the singing thing, I do want to like make a point of this. And a lot of people think like, oh, they have to be, uh, you have to be trained or you have to know what you're doing. And I get a lot of singers that say like they, they bust up their voice and they don't know why, you know. Um, your instrument like are these two muscles, but it doesn't come down to that. You have to figure out how to use your whole body along with those two muscles because you have to account for things like tension you have to account for things like some people just when they're nervous, they might hold their body a certain way and it's impeding their own voice from coming out. You know, I've seen singers that like they're nervous. So then the first thing that goes is their breath. So when they get out there, it's shaky or they kind of sound like this, you know, so it's. It works with everything, though. Yeah. If you're in athletics, you're not right. you're going to carry yourself the wrong sure. way and your mechanics are going to change. If you're well, being a singer, you're an athlete for sure, because you're using the whole thing. Yeah. Um, so I figured out what my instrument, what my body requires to sing. Mm. And, it, and it took a long time. You just have to keep doing it. And then it works. Like, yeah, when you're singing metal, like in, in Vulgaris, all I did was like death metal growls the whole time and play bass. So I wasn't even the singer. I was I've the never bass heard player. your death metal growl. Yeah, it was like it, that was the whole thing. No one knew I could sing at that point. They just thought I did that because I couldn't sing. Yeah. That's what they assumed. <laughs> so I know now, or I've assumed now, but I know you do professional singing yeah. work where you... So so I left Vulgaris because I got um, in Jesus Christ Superstar and did a European tour and like started doing like off-Broadway and Broadway shows. You know, so that was eight shows a week. So that's a pretty big break, right? Yeah. You know, it was eight shows a week. And then when I got off of that thing... I met somebody who knew Sandra Bernhard, the comedian. I was like, hey, she's looking for a backup singer. You want to do it? Like, it'd be cool. So I started singing backup professionally, like, no audition, nothing. and just, like, got in the circle. And Sandra has, like, all kinds of famous people that come see her on the regular. So I got poached. Does she do, like, a, it's like a comedy slash singing mm -hmm. show? Because mm -hmm. yeah, I remember she had a special on HBO back yep. in the day. Yeah. That's when she got butt naked at the, at the end yep. of the special. Yeah. That's right. How to put on some clothes, all right? <laughs> her mom is watching. She's just got done with real sex. <laughs> now Sandra Bernhardt's coming. Her nipples are hanging out. <laughs> I know. It was good. It was such a great experience. I loved working with her. Um, it showed me a whole other side of doing music because um, I had to support. Sometimes I would lead, sometimes I would support, but it wasn't about me. It was about somebody else, really. Yeah, it's, a, but it's, it's a job. It's a, Yeah, but it was bringing a, a different skill set. Because she picked songs of all different genres, too. Because yeah, she did, like, loungy kind of stuff, right? Mm -hmm, but she would do rock stuff, or sometimes she, she'd sing a lot of Prince. Okay. You know? Um, and then from that, you know, like, we did shows with her, and then, you know, I get a phone call from Taylor Dane. Hey, I saw you with Sandra. You want to come sing with me? And it was that easy. I didn't and Taylor Dane, she was on... Uh... She sang Tell It To My Heart and I'll Always Love You. She had a lot of pop hits. Yeah. She was on Arista at the same time as Whitney. Like, okay. she was Clive Davis's... Project. So this is like, this is the big leagues now. Mm -hmm. So I toured with her for years. Um, and then from that I did, I sang with Nancy Sinatra as a backup singer. I sang with uh, Cyndi Lauper as her backup singer. That's sick. How, um, is, is and Cindy, I didn't audition for any of them. Cindy Lauper cool? Uh-oh. <laughs> she might not be cool, guys. She wasn't cool with me. See, see but that, doesn't that disappoint? Because she seems like she would be cool. She was like 
my idol as a child, so it was very crushing. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. It's a bum out. I, I wanted more out of that, but it didn't last that very I long. I heard a story. I forget who told the story that this guy saw Cindy Lauper in a bar and just started like talking to her and making like conversation. They had like they were having a good old time, having a drink, whatever. And then, you know, maybe however long into it, he's like, oh, I just want to let you know I'm a big fan. And then she literally like drank Walk. her drink and then left. Yep. That's what she does. <laughs> she ditches. If she gets in, if she hears something from you that she doesn't like, she will bounce on the spot. Such a disappointment. But I, <laughs> but I guess, here's what I say. I have a lot of... Um, we had a similar... Wait, I would say I, I, I don't have, I would say I don't have... It's not empathy. I have actually sympathy for people that become that famous because I think w- the, they only know what mm-hmm. that's like. And until I get there, I won't know. Right. So I can't necessarily criticize how they deal with it because it's a lot. Sure, yeah. sure. Well, at the time, we were out after a gig and we were drinking. And we were in the girls' room. And... She said, so what else are you working on? And I said, oh, I'm a VJ on Fuse Music Television. And at the time, Fuse was just starting. So it was morphing from Much Music USA into Fuse TV. And I'd been with them before that. When they were Much Music USA, I started with them as a VJ. And then was like helping to rebrand so they could become Fuse. Um, and I told her I was a VJ on music television. She gave me the same look. And then bounced. <laughs> so that's why I know why? she's a ditcher. What's the... I think she didn't want to know that I had like another thing or but, that maybe why'd I Why'd she was... ask you? I know. That's weird. It is. Maybe some people but... are just weirdos. Yeah. Well, she's a Gemini, so there's two of her. I don't I don't know about that stuff. <laughs> you gonna break it down? You gonna buzz out some potions they and just fucking... Say, you know, they just say Geminis. There's like, there's two energies. It's a very polarized sign. Yeah. They can feel two different ways about something at the same time. I'll take your word for it. <laughs> I have no idea. So did eventually great actors, Gemini's. But did eventually the um the back the background role, that background singer life, did that just kind of wear thin after a while um, or well I started turning things down. Um because there was just it became the question of do you wanna work or do you wanna do work that you enjoy? Yeah. Or are you gonna Focus on building something for yourself. I can imagine that's a grind, but it probably paid well, right? It, it pays pretty good. Not as much as you think. <laughs> Not as much as you think, but pretty good, considering. Yeah. Um, but you're living the life along with that celebrity. You're in the five-star hotel. You're getting the treatment. You're getting everything. You know, A lot so of perks. There's, there are a lot of perks, but sometimes after shows, I would have to like lock myself in a room and have a conversation with myself. Um because being a background singer is that you are in the background. So my natural um, inclination to quote unquote shine or be um, giving of myself is then compressed and muted because you are a set piece that's supposed to sound and look good. Yeah. Um, so there's a bit of mind fuckery that goes in with being a backup singer. You have to be content to be barely heard and well, off in the show. Well, that's that's what I said before. I was like, and you're it's usually a, job. a hype person too, oh, as a backup singer. They'll bring you out earlier, yeah. or um, you're having to move in time with another person, so your movements and vibe is not your own. You're yeah. sharing it, and also like not for nothing, but I feel like there's also for me there's like a weird um, role play 
with like I hope I express this well a black woman's place on stage people just kind of assume like oh well you're a black female so you're gonna sing backup for this person like I had people say to me like if I was on the road with the band and we're all sitting together some would say like oh yeah well of course you're the backup singer you know like oh well you have backup singer look yeah. or hair or style or whatever but really it's just like oh well like i don't there's there's for me there's um there's like a social weird anxiety there with fulfilling the role of what it's meant to be as a black female backup singer but isn't there that uh it's a stereotype for well, sure well there it's a stereotype but when i think of background singer i always think about Cheryl Crow right and mm-hmm. the story cuz she was michael jackson's which is very progressive, which I feel like that was also a statement on Michael's end. What do you mean? Like, to put a white female behind him. Yeah. That I, You know? I always said if I ever got the opportunity to, I would put large muscle-bound men as my backup singers. Greetings from Evergreen Podcasts. We're rolling out a listener survey, and we want to hear from you. The information in the survey will help us gather statistics and in turn make our shows more appealing to advertisers. I know most people don't like ads, but this is one of the only ways our shows make money and help keep their lights on. We promise it will only take a few minutes, but the impact on our podcasts will be tremendous. As a token of our appreciation, we'll randomly select one lucky participant each month to win an exclusive merchandise package from Evergreen Podcasts. Head to evergreenpodcast.com slash listener survey to help a show and possibly get some free stuff for doing so. We can't thank you enough for the support. Now back to the show. Ever wonder what a punch from Elton John feels like? Or how you cope with having turned down the chance to be in Nirvana? Or what signal Keith Richards gives when he wants you to get the hell out of his hotel room? Fans of Too Much Effie Perspective don't have to wonder, because they've heard these exact stories and a jillion others on our podcast. I'm Alex Hoffman, former tour manager for Radiohead. And I'm musician and comedy writer Alan Keller. On the TMEP show, we get guests like Nancy Wilson from Heart, Jeremiah Freights from the Lumineers, and Modern Family's Julie Bowen to tell us things they may have only shared with their therapist, clergy, or a TMZ stringer. So join us on Too Much Effing Perspective. That's E-F-F-I-N-G Perspective. The only podcast you crank up to 11. Hey everyone, this is Tuck from Fit for a King in Off-Road Minivan. Every week I bring you fun interviews alongside your favorite metalcore entertainers with my new podcast, Get Tucked. Join me every Monday with bands like Counterparts, Crystal Lake, like Moths to Flames, and many more. We play unsigned and undiscovered bands, deep dive into each artist's history, and of course provide the greatest breakdowns in current metalcore. Tune in to Get Tucked every Monday, out now through Sound Talent Media. <laughs> I think it's just Tommy. That's all we got. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? You know what's interesting is that I was going to do an experiment. I tried to do an experiment where um, I like the concept like of fetishes, and I like the fetish of human furniture. I think it makes a statement, like a weird kind of statement. The guys, idea- I'm looking. I'm looking for knives. <laughs> Or anything. I might, I might be her first chair. I gotta. <laughs> no, you're not my first chair. That's for sure. Well, I'm talking about live. Like, I like the idea of. That's a Madonna. Strong... That's a Madonna thing. She would do that. She's done it. She rode on the back of a guy, and he had a bit in his mouth, a horse's bit. I thought it was genius. And I said, I had always thought of things like this too, where like, 
you're it's it's a very Cleopatra like um visual. You know, the female as the goddess, you know, being brought out on a whatever. You know, it's I like that kind of concept and you don't really see that. You know, I love this idea. So I wanted to do a thing at Afropunk where I would have large muscle bone men create, you know, be on all fours and I would use them as my seat as I was hosting. And the hilarious part of all of this is none of them would do it, even for money. They didn't want to go out in public and be sat on by a female. Well, they don't want to have that talk in the in the five star hotel after like, is this all I am? <laughs> is a human seat? <laughs> but it was for art. I mean, it was for it was nothing against them as a person well, or trying to belittle them in any way. Well, it's well. The thing is, you don't you you can't see the kind of irony in that. I do ju- see just it. as you felt a, a dehumanization from not having agency over your mm. movements. Right. That, That's. That was the but here's, equal and opposite reaction. But here's the thing. If you were Madonna, they probably would have done it. It's not necessarily right. that people won't do certain things that are part of that. You're going to be a cog in a wheel, whatever that means. And um, but it's all like, well, I'm going to do that. I'll do that for Madonna. You ain't Madonna. Right, right. You know, whatever. It wasn't even that. They just like they didn't like the idea of lowering themselves in front of people. Yeah, I mean yeah. that's well. That's also that's there's a masculine thing there. There's right. a but I but like I said, I think if it was a movie and it's like, hey, you want to be in the new whatever big budget right, movie? Right. And this is what well, this, this is was the, the Afropunk festival. There's a lot of people there. Yeah, but I'm 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 just saying I I, I see what you're saying, mm-hmm. but I also I could see where they're right. coming from. I think, but it was amazing because guy after guy, as soon as I said this was the job, they go, ooh, uh, I can't do that. <laughs> so you needed like people who were were they friends with you or they were just random? No, they were they so were strange. You needed some friends for that. We yeah, need to pull some favors. <laughs> like you're like, hey doc, Tommy. hey doc, can you do this? I'm like, for you, anything. Uh, I'm after like paint a six pack on me. <laughs> you know, get some of that that 300 airbrushing. Mm-hmm. Um, but I like that. I liked those kind of ideas. You know. Yeah. Um, but like I said, I got out of backup singer because backup singing because. I didn't like my, my, my role in it anymore. I wasn't happy about it. Um, I thought it wasn't showing the best of me when I walked out on stage. Um, so that was frustrating. Um, so I turned down a lot of stuff that would have been probably lucrative and was with household name famous people. And I just was like, I can't, I can't do it. I have to focus on myself. And that's when I really buckled down and started writing for myself. Mm-hmm. What's, what time period is this? Um, 2010. Oh, so this is like recently, kind mm-hmm. of. I mean, to me, it's for, for people of my age, that's recently. <laughs> yeah. uh, it was like 2008, 2010 was okay. really when I was like, I can't do this world anymore. So, but so, when your name is in the back of Singer Hat, like you kind of live there for a while. So yeah. I got all these Well, here's, here's, calls. here's the thing. I think that's a bad problem to have because most people's problem who are musicians is they're just trying to get out of the world where they'd have to be a plumber during the day right, or be right. the IT guy. Oh, you mean it's guy. a good problem to have. It's yeah. a good problem to have in that. No, it was. You're, I wasn't ungrateful. You're, you're already in a working musician, which mm-hmm. is what most people who are ambitious as musicians want to do. Or I would say this, people who are ambitious as artists would like to, their dream is to always quit the day job. Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. music became your day job, but then the day like you had your own kind of monotonous mm-hmm. thing that you now all right this isn't 
doing what I needed to do because that because I'm sure for a certain amount of time you're like oh my god yeah it was so I'm, exciting yeah it, it just after a while it wears its welcome yeah right? I mean I I first well I first I did work with D Snyder a lot during these years um, but he always featured me so it was never a thing where I felt like I was. And you know what? I've never met D, but I know for a fact he's way cooler than Cindy Lauper. <laughs> this is true, but they're friends. Yeah, they are yeah, friends. But, yeah, but he's he's famous. Yeah. Yes, well, yes, yes. That is the thing, isn't it? Um, well, not necessarily. Famous people can hate each other. No, but more than likely she ain't gonna walk out the room because Steve Snyder will say something. He'll go on Howard right. Stern and <laughs> right. and talk some shit. He's like, "Can you believe this bitch?" Uh, Actually, he probably wouldn't call her a bitch. No, he wouldn't. But he wouldn't. He's, he's, he's you know what? I, the funny thing about Cindy is that even though she didn't treat me that great, she used to call me Miss Thing. Miss Thing? Yeah. I didn't like that, but I thought it was comical after a while that she felt like she needed to do that. Um, Maybe she was jelly of your, your voice. Maybe. Anything's possible. I mean, I don't know why, because she's, she's amazing. Her instrument is yeah. fierce. Well, she, well, she's one of those people that just one note, you know who it yeah, is. Like yeah. She has a just very distinct yeah. thing. Fucking Cindy. Hell yeah. I mean, I still love her, even though she's she didn't treat me that awesome. But well, I, say, I was grateful for the opportunity. Well, I say, sure. try, I'll, I like I'll take experience first and foremost over anything else. Yeah, you know, no doubt. So you started. So this was the formation of the militia Vox mm-hmm. kind of character or mm-hmm. solo persona. Persona was just because I was tired of being like pigeonholed or tired of being. Um, told what I was gonna do on stage and uh, I was tired of industry people telling me, oh, you're talented, but um, we can't sell you. You know, like you would have to change a lot. Like consistently people would say, you need to look more white. If you're gonna do rock and roll, you need to straighten your hair. You can't have that curly hair. It looks too ethnic. You listen to dumb people. Those are dumb people. These were like industry top execs. We're talking like the top of the food chain told me this. These weren't like A&R people. It was like presidents. Okay. It was, yeah. Fuck them. And it was the kind of, well, that that's, and there you go. And there you have, that's my brand. <laughs> it's always fuck them, you know? Well, but I just, I just never. I never get wanted the to blend compromise. In. I never, I, I just never got the blend in thing. I'm, like, yeah. Like, isn't that what's going to make it cool is you being yourself and doing right. it. I, I don't know. Well, I had a moment where I was like, oh, my God, maybe I should do this. And I had a brief stint on a record label under an alias and performed and made a lot of money doing this. Basically in drag because I hid my whole identity. Um, and one night I just kind of was like, that was hilarious. Okay, moving on. And I was done with it. And I never looked back. Even though the label said, this is something you can tour off of for the rest of your life. And you'll make money. And you can play all these great big events. You know, I played PNC Bank Art Center under this alias. And no one knows what it is. It won't be revealed No, here. it won't be revealed here. You have to buy the book one day. Y'all. We're going to find out, guys. <laughs> when she goes to the bathroom, we'll go through her purse. Yeah. <laughs> But I did it because, honestly, I thought it was hilarious. Yeah. It made me laugh. And I said, wow, nobody knows what's really going on here except me. The people that worked for me had no idea. Only me and the label knew. And that was it. I was poached from the Sandra Bernhardt show, actually, to do this gig. And I did it. And I could have kept it going. 
I was making. But you were the front person. Yeah. Okay. I was making ridiculous money for doing it. And I just said, this is stupid. (laughs) But I was glad I did it. You know, it was funny to me. All right. Lucrative laughs. Yeah, Uh, lucrative laughs. (laughs) Uh, So when does Judas Priestess get rolling with all this? Um, Well, Judas Priestess came along like at a time where I was leaving the backup singer world. Well, I mean, I should preface this with, I was in a rock band at the time called Swear in Your Life, and we were doing original songs during this, these backup singer years. Um, and we did some really great creative stuff, and that's where I was able to first start really songwriting and really had a blast doing it. It was very organic. You know, we would spend like a weekend in, in the studio that we rented and just write, and we made some really groovy, heavy stuff, and it was fun. But I think, um, I don't know, something about it maybe just didn't, it just didn't take off. There was too many people trying to grab at it. There was too many people trying to tell us what to do. Um, and uh, But there was a purity there that I loved and like will always be sacred to me because it was the first time I got to really, you know, create the vision for what I wanted musically and was loving it. Um, so when Swearing Your Life ended, like finally put it to rest, one of my friends <laughs> saw an ad on Craigslist for Judas Priestess. And he said, hey, this all-girl Judas Priest tribute starting. And I was like, oh, Christ, they probably suck. They're going to ruin it. It's going to be terrible. They probably can't play it. You know, ugh, like, oh, girls playing priest. Like, the same thing that everybody says about us anyway. I said the same thing. And uh, my friend said, yeah, but what if they're good? You're going to wish it was you. And I was like, you're right. So I went in, I auditioned. Um... I sent them pictures of me with Halford and members of Judas Priest because I was a fan and been going to shows and had met them for years now. And um, their minds were like blown. They were like, okay, this girl is legit. Like she loves Priest. Um, So when I came in, as soon as I opened the door to the room, I knew that I had found a tribe. By the way, I hate to to like mess your story up, but I just Mm. came up with a name for our Portis Head tribute. Tell me. Priestess Head. Ah! Don't you dare! Oh my God, that is funny. I swear to God, they're gonna put Judas Priestess on my tombstone. It's so funny because like this thing that was like I was just doing it for fun, like ended up like superseding so much stuff. And I just go, wait a minute, I'm an award-winning, classically trained pianist. You know, I I did Broadway, I did European tours, I was a backup singer for celebrities, I had my own bands, um, and. I'm acknowledged for this tribute band. Well, it's. I was a VJ. I hosted my own TV show. Well, that's well, that's the thing about <laughs> so about I think time. Yeah. Is that yeah. most things are forgotten to time. Sure. Right. So there sure. are, so there are people that were household names in 1964 sure. that unless you were literally watching TV in right. 1964, so you're in your 70s, right, or something, people forget. Yeah, of course. You know, so it's I mean, it really is about. What have what are you, you doing done? Now? Yeah. Well, interestingly enough, because like to me, the most current things that I'm really doing is my solo stuff. Yeah. But most people don't even know that I'm a solo artist. But you're doing it all, on, you know, independently, right? Right. Right. So I mean, independent. you know, it's even I did that with Vegas Nerve, doing it all independent, and yeah. but you I have another band. Yeah. Like we get push. a record deal, we get yeah. a thing, and it just and now everyone knows about that. Yeah. And 
you know, it's so it, crazy. It, it is what it is. And, and like, it's that other thing about, hey, I, I want to be recognized for being good. Yeah. Sometimes good is only part of it. Yeah. Part, oh, for part, sure. Part of the battle. No, I definitely like, like the label thing used to freak me out because of their opinions about what I should be um, or what I should look like or what I should sound like. Always kind of like, I mean, rubbed that, me the wrong way. But have you ever, I mean, do you feel adverse to it just constructive criticism in general like if you all. felt like you had some good stuff you would be willing to kind of sure yeah absolutely bend. i mean like to me like it just seemed weird to me that the concept of having to do something as trite as straighten my hair is going to make a difference into whether or not people listen to me yeah um i never was like content with dealing with that but i see a lot of black females that do rock they all have weaves. <laughs> they never wear their hair natural. Very rarely. James Brown had that perm. Right? That's what I'm saying. <laughs> he, he told Prince. He said, always make sure your hair is perm. I'm saying Nat King Cole. Right. He had that He had that slick oh, back. Right. 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 <laughs> you know? I mean, that's a that's a theme, right. you know, within, within the culture. It is. You know? And, like, I never wanted to, like, believe that that was the make or break or the dis- deciding factor. Because, you know, it's... Well, think about Whitney. That yeah. was her whole beginning of her career was that she was, li- they just, well, just everything. Yeah. They just completely, you know, they uh, sanitized yeah. the ghetto out of her. Oh, yeah. You know, yeah, and yeah. turned her into an all-American sure. girl and that. But guess what? It worked really well. It worked really yeah. well for a little bit. Well, listen. It didn't end well. That's Bobby. Bobby, we locked, yeah. we, we talked No, that was her. Well, she was the one who was like the addict initially. Well, I'm just saying. Bobby Here's didn't the help. thing. I think the reason if that was why Denzel, but Denzel, he <laughs> he did one of those Oscar-winning scenes right. where he like shook her. You need to get your shit together, yeah. woman. But look, see, Denzel wears his hell natural, and see, he's outlived everybody. I said, like, as long as you're true to yourself, you're good. But I think the reason why she went insane is because she was doing something she couldn't keep doing. She was living up to something that wasn't her. Okay, the, actually, no, see, you're the perfect person. So I have this theory. Tell me. All right. I love theories. All right. So the the diva theory mm-hmm. all right so it's, you could actually could make the diva black comedian theory but the diva is for some reason when a solo female artist gets blows up mm-hmm. they go fucking crazy so let's go through the list <laughs> all right so you got britney uh-huh. you got i said whitney houston mm-hmm. mariah carey mm-hmm. fiona apple mm-hmm. um who am i who am I, I just i just had another one in, in, in my head um oh a uh, lauren hill she sure. she she yes. disappeared Whitney, she so got, I could probably keep going, mm, but there's something about there's something there. when you get the when when they get that crown, the diva crown. Yeah, well, I think I think it comes down to the people that you surround yourself with, and then the pressures of maintaining that perfect image. My image has never been of per- perfection. Is it the pressure of just ha- sure of? I mean, think about that. You have to look a certain way. I mean, Gaga's going through it right now. You have to look a certain way. You're expected to look a certain way. You're expected to uh, command yourself a certain way. And you're expected to bring it a certain way. Like, I've asked a friend of mine who's, like, a big Beyonce fan. And, like, who I, I'm not a Beyonce fan. I like what she's done. Well, she I never like went crazy, though. You don't know that. Uh, listen, publicly, she held it together. Well, because she's got the screen she's able yes. to and britney was out there with a shaved head to me that was the my favorite moment slamming of her whole career a motherfucking car all right i'm just saying i thought that was great and that was from her not being able to be herself is I, what that was i get you i get you so that's why i go like i don't have a problem like i feel like i would be okay with quote unquote being famous if that was 
happening. I would like to be famous because it makes your life easier. So like it's easier to sell your art when you're famous. Well, it makes certain things easier. Right. It doesn't make going to Walmart and being able to buy, you know what I'm saying, a Snickers no, 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 bar no. easier. Well, I buy everything on Amazon anyway. But my point is, is that the only reason for me to be famous is is to be able to have more people listen to the stuff I want them to hear. Like, that's all I care about. It doesn't have to do with me, myself, like, ego, like, getting into this party, that party club. Like, I don't really care about that. I just want to be able to have the, the, um, the audience, you know? That's all I've ever wanted. Yeah. Um, and I think everything that I've gone through allows me to be that. I think if, if I had what they had early, I probably would have melted down too. Yeah, I you think know? the youth has has a lot to do with it. Yeah, well, but I mean, Mariah wasn't that young, but you know, right? But but I think she just is. I think she was probably crazy before. She was crazy in the middle, and she's still crazy. Well, she's just think, so good; it doesn't right, matter. Right, but I think <laughs> also when you have people around you constantly telling you what to do, or constantly yesing you, or constantly, I mean, you get a a different perception of life. You know, so they never were able to develop as people. Yeah. They were only developed as artists. Well, that's, I mean, you could say that for Michael Jackson. Sure. For Justin, or sure. not, uh, Justin Bieber. Like, he sure. went a little off the rails. Just Right, because it, you're not allowed to figure, like like how I was able to take time and figure out my instrument and myself, they didn't get that. Yeah. Someone came and poached them out of their life as they knew it and said, okay, this is what we're doing. Yeah. And that was it. So, of course, you would lose your mind. So... One of the things you said to me yesterday, so this is one of the reasons why I wanted to have you on on, on the show sooner than later, is... Uh, Thank you for having me, by the way. Of course. Of course. You were... I was always going to have you as long Yay. as you wanted to do it, of course. Yeah. Um, is that you mentioned something. We were talking about producers. You you know, you have... Your your producer currently is, is moving away, and you said something about... Actually, why don't you just say, I don't want to sp- speak in your words, that what, what made Hip Mike special? Yeah. Um, there was a great sigh of relief when I met Mike Wolpe, um, who produced, um, my last, um, litter of songs, um, and something that, you know, he's, he has fallen in love and is going to move to Ireland to be with his love, um, which, you know, the commute actually isn't much different from going from New York to here versus going from New York to Ireland. It's about the same. Um, but, you know, things are different. You know, things are different now. But part of the reason why I adore and respect Mike so much as a producer was because, A, of his genuine love for music, which to me is always number one, no matter what. Everything else you can set on fire, in my opinion. You know, if you're going to be an artist, like, to me it's never been about getting laid, it's never been about um, creating a faux image or persona or something uh, out of touch. Uh, It's never been about um, anything. It just comes down to passion. That's all it's about for me, Um, creating something beautiful or creating something real. And he has that same baseline that I do. Um, And the best thing about him that was like the icing on the cake was that he never hit on me. He never did. And that was the first time in my entire career I'd ever worked with a producer that didn't. Yeah. It was the first time. 
he's always respected me. He's always been cool. We've been close. You know, it's never been awkward. It's never been what, you know, it's never been a thing where he overstepped or, you know, we joke around and think whatever, that's fine. Um, but it wasn't this fucking hashtag me too moment. And believe me, I have had many. So like, to me, just the concept of like hashtag me too, even though it's important, I feel it's like, it's been accepted as accepted as unwritten law in the industry that like, oh, you want to make music? Well, this is what you have to put up with, girls. Yeah. Well, the thing is, I think we've heard about it in acting, right? We heard about it in comedy. I haven't outside of the uh, Taylor Swift lawsuit. I haven't really heard too much about it in the music world. Really? Or, or maybe it just the publicly it just that those haven't been the big stories. Um, Unless some executives, I don't know if something happened. Cause I know that something was it L.A. Reid or or some, I don't or no Russell, Russell Simmons. Simmons. Russell Simmons. Well, there's the big one. So maybe I'm. Mm-hmm. I should put my foot in my mouth. Um, I mean, there there are many, but I feel like out of female artists that at least that I'm friends with or talk with about this kind of thing, it's the same as in acting. It was the thing like, oh, you want that record deal? Well, I can help you if you help me. Yeah. It, my whole career. Every producer or every lawyer or every industry person, that was always the footnote. That was always the like, oh, you want this? Well, I want you, so let's work this out. And it was just a thing, Um, which, yeah, I could have done it. Maybe something large would happen on a grand scale. Like, who knows? I don't know. But I never wanted to be that person. And I know there's girls that have done it, and it worked. They were like, oh, I'll suffer through this thing to get what I want. Or I'll put myself in this position because whatever, it's going to be an hour, two hours, I'll get what I want. And even then, there's no guarantees that you're going to get what you want. Yeah. Right? It's not like you sign a contract saying, oh, you fuck me in exchange. I'll give you an amazing career. It's, it's inferred. Right. But it's like I always had an immense disrespect for industry people who used that system. Um, well, let me and add, one actually, of my friends who, he came out with me like that. He was very powerful in the industry. He's now since deceased. The industry literally wore his heart out. He died of a heart attack at 35 years old because the industry wore him out. His main clients were some of the, or household names, some of the biggest clients in the world, or biggest musicians in the world. And he died trying to please them all to the end, right? He was one of these guys, you know. He wanted me. He could have made it happen. And I couldn't do it because I was like, I'm never going to compromise myself, my body. If I want to fuck you, I will fuck you, right? It's not a contract. It's not a business deal. It's not an exchange. So that has always been something where I just... I just couldn't wrap my brain around being that girl that was going to lay down for a chance at something. Um, I still have to look at myself in the mirror. Yeah. Well, you know, the reason why I wanted to talk to you about that is I I mentioned, I talked a little bit about the the Louis C.K. thing in one of the intros, Mm -hmm. but I've mostly kind of stayed out of of this topic because I felt it was appropriate to speak with a woman, Mm -hmm. speak with a woman in the entertainment industry, Who has who has dealt with some of this stuff? Um, overall, 
you know, how do you feel about this moment? You know, does it feel contrived? Does it feel like it's a little bit, like I said, I think we're in this realm too where in a sense, when something becomes a hashtag, Mm -hmm. that in and of itself becomes cynical in a way, right? It makes it it trite. Yeah, it just just becomes a bumper sticker. A slogan, yeah. Yeah, um, Well, people love slogans right now. This the election was won on a slogan. Yeah, like you can, I feel like you can say me too, um, sarcastically, just as easily as you can say it earnestly. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and, you know, so overall, I'd say like, how do you feel about the moment? Does it feel like a, we're moving forward or does it feel like we're moving back? Or is It's it- definitely moving forward. Um, I find it very exciting. I like that people are able to come forward and tell their stories and hold people accountable. Um, but also, I think the I think the thing that is missing that's not being considered is when that was prevalent and when all these instances were happening is not like now. So it's you, you very, don't feel it's as bad as it was. No, 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 no. Well, yeah, no. It definitely was bad, and it was accepted as the norm. No, it was not okay. Now these people are being accountable for it now because the internet, and now. Those stories aren't going to go away. They're only going to get shared and shared. And so information is traveling faster. Um, before, if you had a story about somebody, what, you would tell two friends? Maybe they would tell two friends. Now you tell two friends. You can tell a million friends in the click of a button, you know? So it's it's a different way of spreading information. Um, and that can hurt careers. So the fact that these people are being accountable now for things that they, you know, they're having to um, say, yeah, I was that person, or no, I wasn't. They're gonna, they're gonna have to, res- they have to respond to it. To me, that's great. And what? Yeah, there was a lot of people that got into the industry and used their power to get laid or used their power to feel dominant over another person. That's human nature. Um, I don't, I, mean, I don't think it's right that anyone should apologize for wanting sex. Um, but using your power um, to barter um, with somebody's dreams, I think that's disgusting. Well, a lot of it, I, you know, I think, you know, there's, I have so many mixed feelings about it, mm-hmm. um, you know, and, you know, because at its heart, I think it's, it's important sure. that it's happening. Um, because to me, it's like what's going on with this in, in a way is, kind of what was going on with race mm-hmm. maybe yes. four or five years ago yeah. where it's like all this stuff is coming up. Mm-hmm. But in a, in a weird sense, the, the kind of downside of that is then every interaction in a sense is politicized. Yeah, it's sensitive right? now. Like even now, like me, I consider myself one of, you know, pretty respectful person. Um, but that's started thinking about, you know, listen, I did my thing on the road for a long time, mm-hmm. but I felt like I never feel like I used anyone, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but I'm sure I had my moments, you know, mm-hmm. I'm sure I did the rock and roll thing and partying right. and like, and thinking, hey, is there some girl out there who thinks right. I did X, Y, Z? Right. I don't right. know. You have to ask yourself those, th- those questions. And, you know. I mean, I think there's not famous people who have of course. used, quote unquote, their power. To but is, is the power the main thing? Yeah, for sure. That's the only, so. But to the, me, it is. But the thing is, sure. I, but d- does that let the hook off the quote-unquote powerless? Isn't by virtue of being a man and being stronger and being bigger, 
I know um, women that have done these things too. Yeah. Well, they use their power to fuck men or women. Yeah. So sure. you don't think it's a kind of singular I don't think it's focus. become a landslide of making it men versus women. You know, that men of power. I mean, but men of power have always done that. The fact that they're finally being accountable for it, to me, it's a good thing. So you'll think twice before you do something shitty to another person. That's just like yeah. on a human level, it's better now. Um, but also, like, as a female, I feel more protected now. Yeah. Instead of before where it's like, oh, well, she's not going to play that game, so we don't fuck with her. Yeah. You know? Um, but, yeah, there's a lot of people who did get into the industry because they wanted power and yep. sex. Yeah, but I, mean. I think that's for a lot of men, especially masculine guys, or even, I would say this, the guys who could not yeah. get laid when they were younger. Right. And they get into a privileged position, or they make right. money, or they become, and then the whole right. point and of it get to act out was to get laid. Fantasies. You know, yep. it's like, like, <laughs> well, everything like, at the end of the day comes down to getting laid, doesn't it? It's well, all sexuality. I think specifically for men, that's a bit. A, I, I think some of my biggest issues with how this has been approached is not recognizing some of it is just the fundamental uh, biology and humanity. Mm -hmm. yeah. And the thing I... Well, that's th the thing that I think too. Yeah, well, the thing, but what I'm afraid of is what's going to, this is going to do is what happened with race is that it doesn't make the feeling go away right. or it doesn't change our biology. What happens is it's just going to go underground, right? Mm -hmm. So we just thought, like when I grew up in the 80s, I'm like, oh, it's the Cosby show and Michael Jackson. Racism doesn't exist. No. Right. People just stop talking about it publicly. Right, right. But the truth is you cannot police people's minds. Right, no, Chris. And I think there are certain things, like especially this is what I talked about with the Louis C.K. things. It's like, to me, that's a guy who is basically um, has perverted thoughts. Yeah. And he has issues and Unfortunately, uh, he utilized his issues and whatever power he had to, you know, har harass women. Right. You know, however, how, however you want to say. However, it. I firmly believe that if he was not famous, he possibly would have done the same thing. Possibly. You see yes. what I mean? Most likely but would have. Well, keep it. Well, keep in mind when he did this stuff, he wasn't the Louis C.K. We know right. he was just well right. known within those circles. Okay. So this is what I'm saying. If you have sexual appetites it's going to be irresistible to not act on them well no it, different than and i'm not validating it it's no different than being someone who's attracted to a certain kind of person you're always going to be drawn to it so if you get power obviously you're going to seek that out even more um intensely you know but at the end of the day, you're still going to seek it out. It's not going to change what you're well, attracted to. Yes, but the thing is... If and that... like also, it's judge it, there's a judgment there, too, at being like, oh, well, the, the way that you uh, engage sexually is a perversion. Well, I think... It I think there's a. I think for especially with him because he talked about it in his comedy and his in his show. See, to me, he always admitted that he was perverted. Exactly. So it's like exactly. So it was it was all. But what but what I'm saying is that, in a way, if you do have weird things right like i right. want to be uh you know i want to jerk off to a girl's feet and i right. want to do weird whatever I feel like everybody has something though or well, maybe, everybody has room to say yeah. oh that's weird you know but, but, but what i'm saying is is there a way to engage in that without creating a quote-unquote victim because mm -hmm. it isn't because the way i look at it is that a lot of experiences 
are only changed by the way we feel about it, right? right. I was saying this, like, if I go hungry because I'm on a diet, mm-hmm. I feel, yeah, I'm crushing this diet. I can, mm-hmm. I, can, I can be hungry and be okay. But if I'm going hungry because I'm poor and I'm starving, mm-hmm. then I feel downtrodden and mm-hmm. beaten down by life. It's the same, it's the same occurrence. Mm-hmm. And these experiences are often like that. It's right. It's like, if I like you and I'm totally happy with you jerking off in right. front of me, then, then no one cares, okay. right? Yeah. So it, it's, it, you know, I just want to confront the idea that guess what? You know, there the empathy works in both ways, right? right? Like, as men, we need to understand that, you know, women are just dealing with things in a way we can never understand. Right. right? Well, he, well, the whole concept of unwanted advances yeah. is a major issue. But the thing like, is, just for example, like, 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 like if I'm into one thing and you're into another thing, and then you come at me with something, and like I'm not down for that. Like that's just where it should stop. But these are situations where it didn't stop. Well, yes, but in some of these, with some of these people, it happened one time. What I'm saying is sometimes right. you don't know an advance is unwanted right. until you until advance. Until you test the waters, right. Do you know what I'm saying? So right. what, what I think is, what I think the main thing is, A, we need to actually learn. The problem is this is that we're this, this we're a society. Men are from Mars, women are from Venus. Well, no, no, it's, it's, <laughs> that, but, but, but I think our society, American society in particular, has a lot of hypocrisy. Sure. Because what we do is, in a lot of ways, we're very repressed sexually, right. I was just not unlike say that. Europe and stuff. Yeah. And if you yet, just say what on. you want. <laughs> hold on, hold on. But let me let me finish the other side of this. We're repressed in certain ways, but our but pop culture puts sex everywhere. everywhere. Mm-hmm. So it's literally this thing where we're saying, oh, you know, uh, lie to me with your face, and then, right. you know, I got my finger up a butt behind my behind my back. We're not <laughs> we're not honest with it. So because right. of that, we don't actually. Um, we don't teach young men how to actually engage. Right. And the thing is, we right. that, that's a big problem is saying, hey, like, maybe that's what sex education should be. Is like, hey, maybe you have, is being honest about it. Not yeah. saying, hey, don't ever yeah. have sex. Not saying, that's hey, the problem. maybe there's a new sure. level of that. Say, hey, maybe sex education needs to keep going into college and saying, hey, maybe you got a weird thing. But this is how you approach someone right, right. in a in a in a in a kind way, or this is how you approach well, that's someone. Why, that's why schools like I mean, that's why school kind of sucks because school doesn't teach you life lessons. School teaches you to memorize yeah. facts, so you don't get the tools that you need to actually function as a member of society. Yeah. And then you're made, especially in Catholic school, you're made to feel ashamed for not going along with antiquated systems. Yeah. You know so. These are all things that, like, you know, I like that I figure out these things for myself. As an artist, I feel like it's my job to experience things and then see how I feel about it, and then that's what I write about. Um, But as far as, like, sex and sexuality, if people just admitted what they liked, it would be so much easier. (laughs) So then you could be in it with somebody. Like, someone could be like, oh, I'd be down for that. I mean, who hasn't maybe tried, like, a rape fantasy or something like that? Our rape is obviously wrong. Well, Joe Rogan, but, Joe Rogan said he he made a good point. He's like he's like everyone want, woman wants to be raped, but by, but by someone she likes. Right, like right. The, meaning he just that's an offhand right. way of saying they just like no, rough sex right. or whatever. Or they want like who doesn't want someone who's like so passionate 
that they want to rip off your clothes. Yeah, you like, know, it's the same kind of thing. Which even that, like I said, I I wouldn't even use the the, the words he he looked like. Right. Cause me, I'm very I'm, I'm very sweet and sensitive. You know, I make I make sweet <laughs> sensitive love, and usually it's the girl. It's like slap me in the ass, choke me out. I'm like okay, whatever you want. <laughs> I'm here for you, <laughs> but my natural mode is to be sweet and sensitive. Aww. That's right, and 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 that just told me so much about. That's you. just that's who I yeah, am. Yeah, that is you who know. you are. Yes, you know, you're just, a lover. That's my thing. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but no, the um, one other thing I want to ask you about is um, Matt Damon got in trouble because oh, he? he was making like he was making the point that like we should distinguish between like there's rape over here and. Uh, sexual assault maybe like you mm-hmm. know groping and then there's sexual harassment like we like we should be able to distinguish the the crimes right mm-hmm. but people a lot of people just came out and they said well you just need to like shut up right now right and i i think that instinct is not necessarily great mm-hmm. because i think that's what like i said that's what they told white people sure, sure, in yeah. the in the 70s they're like listen you just shut up right and I think, um, what do you like? Do you, do you agree with that? You think men should just don't give me your opinion. Just, yeah, this no. is our time. I think I think it's good to. I think the whole point is that the conversation's on the table and everybody can talk. But I think it's not the issue. Is not that everybody's talking. The issue is that like people want to make sure that they're being listened to. Yeah. You know, it's like a wait to talk game, isn't it? You know, as opposed to like genuinely listening to stories, point of views, perspectives. Um, experiences. I brought, I'm here to listen to you. See? That's See? the whole point. It's all good. I mean, like, I've had situations where I was literally in the vocal booth and I had a producer say he's going to fuck me in my ass and I had to lock the door. You know, stuff like that. Where, um, and then the project's over. Yeah. So. But what is that? So something like that happens and. And then I end it. No, no, but, but. I'm just saying there has to be, and I think this is the, the trauma, the trauma some, the, element. There's trauma there, but it's also like there's a respect there. So if you come at me like that, that means you don't respect me and what I'm doing. Yeah. And the whole reason why we're here is to create this thing. But if you're going to add this layer of unwanted, you know, sexual energy, um, I have to sting back. Yeah. You know, um, and that's how I've always been. Even but, though the first time it, the first times it started happening, I was like, "Oh, that's funny." Most girls just laugh it off. They'll be like, "Oh, that's uncomfortable," but I don't want to ruin this thing, so I'm just gonna play along and play dumb or play cute or giggle. A lot of girls giggle when they're uncomfortable. Yeah. Um, you know, you do that thing because you're trying to be like, "Oh, what's next?" Like now I'm on guard. Yeah. You don't want to be like your defenses up when you're trying to make art or music yeah. but what but, know, but, so but what i'm saying is it's toxic did you feel victimized by that moment is that something that stuck with you in a way that clearly it stuck with you enough because you're telling me now but right. or is it something like you know because you're tough well it you're, came out of that it came out of like assessing okay how do i feel when he or she does that to me um do i feel threatened I'm the kind of person I'm quick to get angry in a situation like that. Yeah. Um, well, that's what I'm saying. You don't strike me as someone who's gonna curl up in a ball with like you know and take because it. I because I let that happen once. It happened early on. There was a guy. It wasn't music related. It was just a like 
the first guy that I, like, was crushing on and we started, quote-unquote, dating. It's not dating when you're that young, but it was, like, the first time I was, like, boyfriending or hanging out with somebody. Um, his mother had passed away, so I thought, like, oh, like, he's sad. Like, I can nurture him or, like, I can we can talk and we can, like, have deep conversations and, like, get to know each other. And he's clearly looking for to be loved. And I thought I could do that for him. But really... He was just like into me because I developed at a very young age. So I, my body was curvy when the other girls were not. And that was all he was really looking at. Um, and he would literally physically like attack me anytime we were together. Like, and it felt very molest. It was very molesty and rapey. Mm, I must have been like 12, 13. Oh, years Jesus. Old. And then finally one day we were like, we were sitting in a park. And he was on me, and I, I fucking pushed him off of me. And I said, control yourself. And I said, is this what you came here for? And he didn't really know how to talk about it. And I said, I'm the, I'm the idiot. I am the idiot. Because I thought you were trying to have... I thought we were, we were going to be friends first. And I'm the idiot who was trying to love you. And I was like, that's it. You know, I can't, I, I'm not going to do it if it's going to be like this. And, that and that's what set the stage for everything else after that. Yeah. And like later that day, he, I remember his friend called me and was like, yeah, he doesn't want to be around you anymore. He doesn't want to see you anymore. You know, blah, blah, blah. And I was just like, fine, that's fine. And ever since then, I was like, you know what? I'm not going to let anyone else make me feel like that, whether it's personal or business or anything i'm never i never want to feel like attacked or like i'm being like because like as a female at least for me maybe it feels the same as a guy i don't know but as a female every girl wants to be wanted in that way you know who doesn't want to have someone that wants you so bad that they can't control themselves right so you say you, you like the idea of it but the actual physical manifestation of it is, it is, was, is a nightmare. it was nightmarish because yeah. like it's not out of love at all. It, there's nothing loving about it. Yeah. It's like it's a it's a warm body. It's a it's a it's flesh. It's like Well, it's, can I I mean, I, but I think there's important context from from the male perspective in understanding what that um being a young man filled with fucking Right. You know, all of those course. all that yeah, but, that stuff where But girls are filled with that too. They think that's what it's different though. No, I know it's I different. Think, I think we have to like. There's a reason why movies like Porky's and American Pie and <laughs> right. Revenge of the Nerds like. There is a like. There's a reason why we neuter our animals. Right. You know, right, like of like, course. and that's what I was talking before about the fundamental biology and humanity mm -hmm. that we can't just pretend. Like, if you're 12 years old and everything in your body is saying, "Stick my dick right. in everything." In everything. Yeah. And you can't turn it off. Right. If if the whole thing well, is... Well, testosterone is a hell of a drug. Well, exactly. Is, mm -hmm. is that, what are we going to do in the future? Are they just going to put chips in, in boys when they turn 12 so they don't fucking... Fuck, no, you know, no. Fuck no, 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 not but you, don't, you don't know. That's what no, I'm saying. No, no, no. But I, I think that the most important thing is to be like, that's why we have to talk about it. That's why it can't be this pure, Puritan fucking mindset. You have to be able to be like, okay, you, point blank, you're going to have these urges at whatever you might have these urges your whole fucking life if you're lucky you know it's like you should and as a creature the desire to 
mate is that's innate that's just from being a living being right so when you have that stuff acknowledge that you're having it then you know how to deal with it yeah that's all but if somebody is if you're with somebody and that person is recoiling in terror <laughs> that's a sign well i think that's that's the the actual human part of it mm-hmm. and the empathy of part of it is just not being an asshole, not I mean, being a are, dick. I mean, are there rapes in other species? Yeah. Oh, every. I mean, I every mean like. No, in, rape is natural. Right. That's like one but of the most. Some, I mean, there's some creatures that don't. It's like the guy will, the male will like come to the female in a certain way and she can reject him. But, well, th- well what I'm saying is if you look at mammals, you look at our closest, like dolphins rape each other. Right. You know, like, in fact, we're probably one, you know. We we're, we definitely are are more developed in that sense, um, but but their instincts I feel are stronger than ours. Like um, as far as like they're doing it for to breed. Well, they're not doing it. Well, I guess I, no. We are actually. Yeah, that's our body is telling us to do it because it thinks we're breeding. Well, it doesn't know that we have pleasure. a pleasure. Con- it does. Yes, but it the pleasure. It's is, not necessarily no, like every time you no, fuck somebody. You're the not pleasure. To get them no, no. The pleasure is there to convince you to to procreate right no that's I know. why it feels good that, no that's, of course that's, no i know that i'm just saying that you know that every time that you have sex you're not necessarily doing it to no i know but that's that but the knowing part has nothing to do with the instinct the instinct just says fuck right but i'm saying as a human you have the ability for your mind to step in and go i know my instincts are taking control of me but i'm going to back off because they don't want me exactly well that's so so that's the distinction right. and that fundamentally manifests itself in a in a bunch of different ways i mean and it's just like i mean you have that second where you stop and put on a condom it should be that yes but what, what, that I, but, what but what i'm saying is a lot of these notions are new these are new so we're we're kind of telling people like like the culture and the intellect is moving faster mm-hmm. than our bodies can catch up with it mm-hmm. and that you know, it's one thing to say that. It's another thing to tell everyone. It's like, it's like, hey, kids, don't drink and don't do drugs. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, right. yeah, you can t- tell a class, but if they if there's something that says have a beer, you know, right. young people aren't known for their immaculate self-control. Right. That's what right. I'm saying. No, but I'm saying, but if, if they're, if they're, if you have the moment where you can stop and assess yeah. what's happening and being present. Not just focusing on what you want, but being present and like listening and seeing like, oh, does this person like this or whatever? I mean, that's the deciding factor on whether it's a rape or whether it's wanted. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Well, I, I think it's definitely something that hopefully we can move forward on. That, But I definitely worry about, um, you know, I think it can get ugly before it sure. gets... Better. Well, because everybody has an idea of how it should be. Yeah. Well, well, I think I, I worry about the, like, I think in modern culture, we have this idea that everything is a life sentence, mm-hmm. right? So let's right. say you, you know, Aziz Ansari went on this fucking bad date and people like, I think it's, personally, I think it's kind of horseshit that people right. you know, but it's like, some people believe, you know, like Kevin Spacey, right? You should never work again. 
We never want to see you. Like, right. what do are these people supposed to do? I know. What, are they just supposed to go to a cave like Gollum and shit and just right. fuck go in there and... Well, that's what I always... I'm cu- that's what I'm curious about, what's going to happen here during well, the fallout. Well, even... But I, I just don't really, as a society, what we do with people fuck up. Broken people, right? Mm-hmm. Is Bill Cosby, is he a broken person? Right. And if the broken... And it... it, and it is the job of the society say no? Let's walk them out into to the center of the town and stone the motherfucker right, people, to death. Yeah, because I think that's you talk about instinct. Right, right. You know, vengeance sure. is is clear, and there's there's a lot of revenge. Yes, going on right now, and I think people are saying, you know what, I suffered, so fuck you. Yeah, yeah. It's your time to suffer. Right, and I get that that um that instinct, but. I think as a in the in the macro sense it does not solve our issue. No, it doesn't. Which is all. how do we deal with people and especially I think this, I think famous people get the brunt of it in a way that a normal person doesn't who does the same thing or worse, sure. but we're just gonna punish that and people say, Well, they're we're making ex- an example out of them and right. other people are gonna I'm like, Are you really? Right. I think you're just kind of ruining that one person's life. And right, maybe right. listen, maybe they deserve it. But the way I look at it is like, all right, do your time, whatever that is and being out of the public life, but you know the entertainment industry. You have one right. bomb and you're out of right. the industry, let right, alone right. if you have stink all over you because of, of something. So I, well, I don't know. Well, I mean, know. I feel like for these guys, they're still rich. Even they're, though they're, like, quote-unquote, suffering in the wake of this thing, they're still wealthy. They can hide out wherever they want. Well, I mean... So it's a different kind of thing. Um, but I think it's, it's good in a way that it, you know... What good is money if they you can't, can't do the thing you love? Of course. But if, that's the penalty. If you're right? os- well, it's the penalty now. Right. This is yeah, a, now. This is this is a new that's thing. That's what I'm talking about. And and I don't know. So I don't even want to like get too much into that like particular mm-hmm. point, but I'm just saying there are there's a lot of things. There's sure. a lot of plates spinning yeah, right now. Yeah. And I and, and I like it. I think it's good. I like that the conversations are being had. I like that people are now going back like, oh, I wonder if there's anybody that could say that about me. Oh, I wonder if I treated everybody okay. Or I wonder if, like, you know, someone would come forward and say, like, oh, this person did something horribly perverted against me or whatever. Yeah. You know, like, it. I think reflection is good. I think people should... All of this comes from, like, not knowing yourself or not... not, not like, even... Sometimes people just, like, will forget what they're worth in the moment to just get something immediate, yeah. you know? Like, that's the kind of thing that, I mean, it's always going to be changing. There's no perfect way to do it, right? But I feel like as long as you're in touch with yourself and your given circumstances and what you want, um, it'll avoid a lot of problems. I don't have problems with perversions as long as they're... I don't like it when someone else is, is the victim, like you said. Like, that's why, like... To me, no justice for like child molesters or anything like that. Like, I that I can't stand. To me, that like makes me sick. Um, but if it's two consent consenting adults, great. If it's two adults and one is taking advantage of the other because they know that they can, because they're dangling opportunity in front of them, to, I find that despicable too. I had an instance with a very famous and well-connected lawyer that said, I can make all these kind of things happen for you, um, but this is what I need. 
And he wasn't shy about it, which I respected him because he wasn't shy. But then I said to him, in a very heated discussion out on the street in Chelsea, Manhattan, um, I said to him, you have a wife, you have a kid, you have a nice house, you have great cars, you have an awesome job. People know who you are. You don't really want for anything except for this. You would jeopardize all of those things. When is it enough? What else do you need? Okay. What does this make you feel like? It's probably not and fun. And why do you think you're going to get it from me? It's probably not <laughs> fun if there's nothing to risk, right? Right, right. So, like, the things that he was enjoying just because he could, because he's a powerful, connected guy, you know, uh, the carrot dangling, it was excited, exciting to him, too, because it was part of his chase, yeah. Is she going to go for it? Do I have to use a bigger carrot? Do I have to? I mean, he enjoyed that whole power play. That's also what makes him a good lawyer, I guess. Um, but that was it for me. And, like, I saw him again recently, and then it just made me laugh because I was just like, wow. Um, <laughs> the thought of being intimate with a person like that is, like, gut-wrenching, stomach-turning for me. Um, but the fact that he thought there was a possibility also then made me sick because then I'm like, wow, he looked at me and thought that I would consider. And what does that say about me? So it ended up like turning this whole thing like into a tailspin about like the, what I project, you know? So I just said to him, I was just like, you have all these things. I was like, isn't that enough? And that was it. I called it a night. But, uh. And we didn't speak anymore. So, I don't know. It's, I'm sure there's a lot of girls with a million stories just like it, yeah. you know. But uh, to me, it's like, I didn't want my, I didn't want to like ever step into the shoes of being the victim because I was born a, a female who dreams of being a singer. Um whatever it means for me to be that singer like I've always just I have to do it on my terms which is also why I've never been signed because of these kind of situations like that um and I don't really know how to do it any differently at this point for sure I don't even think I could play a game like that um but I'm excited to live at a time where I think the message that I'm trying to convey is easily easily more easily understood and interpreted Right on. Well, we've talked sex. We've talked race. Mm -hmm. We've talked career. Militia Vox, thank you for coming on the X-Man podcast. Thanks, Doc.
So I hope you enjoyed that conversation and this song. It's kind of crazy because, you know, actually I'm going to give you a little hint on, on the process. So this is one of the songs that I played on. It's called Val. It's from an EP called Isosceles. And I also did another EP of covers called Bait. And I actually, I didn't do all the guitars of that. I don't think I did, I did some of the songs, but yeah, that's, that's one of the ones I, I did the guitars on. And it's kind of cool because uh, Militia writes everything and she'll send me tracks and like, you know, little demos or stuff. Sometimes she'll write the guitars on keyboard or something. And so I'll kind of make little notes and I'll come in, but then something like this, I just kind of, it's very creative. Like I'll, she'll get, it'll be like a basic outline and I'll kind of just, you know, come up with stuff and, and really free ball. And it was, uh, it's a really great experience. Cause I never really done that before in the studio where I'm just kind of like someone gives you that latitude to kind of do your thing. It's, um, it's really cool. So going back and listening to that track, I was just like, damn, it's a good ass song. And I actually did cool things and I, and I like it. And it's, um, it's just an interesting experience because I'm so used to the way I do it, where I'm with a band and we work on songs for months and you craft your parts, you get in there, you're, it's more about execution. So it's a really fun experience and it um, it challenges your abilities as a musician. And I really like, cause I would go in there with like my Kemper profiling amp and just, there's a ton of sounds and you, and you mess with effects and you do all kinds of stuff. And it's great to work with Militia because she, A, she actually understands music and this is a great thing. She knows what she wants. So if I'm I'm doing something she doesn't like, she will tell me right away. And that's great um, just from a, a production mind and from a songwriting mind. So it was really cool. I hope you guys liked that song. Hope you guys liked the talk. Uh, this is another long one, but that's fine. As long as it kind of scratches the surface and gets into a place of depth, I think that's why some of the shows get a little long. But I'm perfectly fine with that. Well, anyway, thank you guys for listening. Fight the power. Uh, stay black or white or um, whatever you are. Or don't. You know, change. Be like Rachel Dolezal. You know what I'm saying? Change your shit. I don't care. I don't care what people do. You know? Be, be you. I'm going to be me. And Mamba is motherfucking out. This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. The number you have reached is 100.7 WMMS. It wasn't just a radio station, it was a lifestyle. Cleveland is, is a rock and roll city for sure. I do like chocolates. Get down! The Wrath of the Buzzard. WMMS. Cleveland. The rise and fall of one of the most iconic radio stations in America. Profiles, The Wrath of the Buzzard, P-R-O-H Files. Subscribe now wherever you get podcasts.